This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered working all night long to bring you this little bit of joy. That's uh, actually Jeff looked at me like, what? I think the only one working all night long was probably Terry. And that was only till like 10 o'clock. And then but then you wake up at one and it's get back at it. 4.30. Man. It's fine. Crazy stuff um, going on. Boy, can you imagine being one of the children from the Florida shooting and you're back to school today? And you've, you've got to walk back into the – now, I think they, they're not going to that one building, I guess, where the shooting took place. But yeah, it's surrounded. You're back to school. It's got to be terrifying. Oh, yeah. An incredibly hard, hard uh, thing to go do. And so, really, again, of all the time to send the prayers, maybe today is a good time to set them up again. And let's start giving them hope and prayers for uh, getting back to school. Again, not necessarily solving the problem. Um, in fact, fighting about it at different levels. I heard today that there's kids that are now getting um, threats. Yes. Online because of the positions they're taking. They've been getting threats since they walked out of the school and talked to the media when it happened. Unbelievable. Yeah. They've been through a lot. They don't need more threats. I was listening this morning. Some people talk about these kids are in this interesting spot because they can't vote. Yeah. Right? So they, they're not really a declared party affiliation. Right. But they're, you know, they have a cause now that their classmates have died. Right. We need to change this. And, and they're not, and they're not saying they want to have some party thing. They're like, you're the adults. Fix it. Yeah. But then the adults start taking sides oh, because yeah, yeah you want to take away the guns or you want to yeah so they're they're trying so and you can't go after them because they're not necessarily they're not adults right but they're kids that have this voice Power. and you don't they're there it's so they're, there's this kind of confusion on how to um rebut the argument i guess and yeah. so when you do it as an adult to a 17 year old kid one it's a kid right but the other side is the kid says it back to you Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you respond so you don't look like an adult that's just trying to smash some kid, but you can't because the kid's not backing down. Right. So you have this conflict. What do you no, do? You know. How do you, yeah, how do you argue with a kid? But then they make very simple points too. Like you're the grownups. How do you argue with that? Fix this. Right. Was, we shouldn't what, have to face it's this. It's what we saw with Marco Rubio yeah. at that town hall is he was having to face the non-emotional kind of uh, stances of the pro-gun side of the argument Ugh. that it doesn't have any flexibility for the logic that these kids are talking about. Unbelievable. It really is. Uh, so you want to add more complexity to this whole thing? I mean, could it get more complex? So is it the guns? Is it the mental health? Is it the response of the emergency services? Are we? Is it the teachers that need to be armed? These are all things that have been brought up. Another uh, topic that comes up um, by some researchers is that on a list of the 27 deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history, 26 of the 27 are fatherless boys. 
Really? Hmm. Fatherless boys. That is an important observation. Hmm. Now, yeah. some would say that might be a coincidence. Oh, sure. 26 out of 27? Sure. sure. It's a pretty heard, good percentage. I, I've heard where, where they give similar sort of stats on, so, oh, that's a coincidence. You're These just are drawing the deadliest mass and, shootings. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure that there are father children that are oh, shooting yeah. people as well. But it is an interesting thing that might be telling us there's also a breakdown of the family. Mm-hmm. And by the way, meanwhile, a hashtag Me Too movement's going on, which I would also bet is influenced deeply by a fatherless movement. And and we know that there's a lot of kids being raised without fathers. And then think of the pressure that puts on all the mothers of these homes. And in this situation in Florida, the, the, the shooter was put into the foster system. Yeah. And, 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 then, and his and then, parents even knew how troubled this boy was. Right. And, and couldn't do anything. Yeah. And so it's – and it, recently I think there were some changes in his life where the people that were – Caring for him, they got moved, yeah. and so and his mother cha- just died. Right, and so he had the the one person that he connected with is now gone, and that was the, what they feel may have been a trigger that led to his action. Mm. Though he may have, well, not may. Uh, they're arguing. This is the 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 Broward County Sheriff yesterday was arguing with CNN. CNN says there were forty nine incidences with this the shooter and his brother since like two thousand eight. Wow. Forty nine? Sh- yeah, and the sheriff's like, no, it was only twenty three. Yeah. No, it's forty yeah. And you're like, only twenty three? And you and you know, so I mean he wasn't yeah. making the argument any better by trying to you know, diminish the actual number when you're talking the facts, but there again, all these incidents and they missed them, but I mean at what point do the cops step in? Oh yeah. At what point do the at police what point do they have the right to step in? Has he done anything wrong up to that point? That they need to try to stop something, but when you look at the massive incidences that were reported, you try. Oh. Is there a trace? Something there that needs to let someone know there's a problem. They do say too that in, there is a direct correlation between boys that grow up with absent fathers and boys who drop out of school, who drink, who do drugs, who become delinquent, who wind up in prison. Hmm. And now she's and one of the researchers is saying and and who kill their classmates. Hmm. So it's a pretty strong well uh, argument, but. The bigger thing I want to bring out is, again, this is a complicated issue. And by the way, we could spend more money. Like our presidents choose where to allocate a lot of money in um, in in the country, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, President – I remember President Bush allocated a lot of money to strengthening marriages. President Obama allocated a lot of money to fatherlessness to focus on that, that uh, situation. Um, Maybe we ought to also be paying attention to that and continue. I mean, you can see that a lot of those things would be reversed the minute a new administration comes in. But uh, maybe there is something about that. Focus on families. How about that? And it doesn't mean that these families are all causing this, but it does mean that families are probably the front line of all of this when it comes right down to it. So uh, just a little, uh, little more food for thought. Let's get to the other headlines, other things we need to be paying attention to. Terry, what else should we be focused on? As we were talking about students returning to class today at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida for the first time since that shooting on Valentine's Day, uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders confirmed Tuesday that President Trump supports raising the age limit to 21 for the purchase of certain firearms, despite the NRA rejecting the proposal over the weekend. 
Sanders declined to go into specifics. She said uh, Monday that the president is planning a meeting for Wednesday with bipartisan members of Congress to discuss different pieces of legislation and what they can do moving forward on this topic. So we'll see where that That's goes. That's good, yeah. One of America's largest sporting goods retailers has announced that it will no longer sell assault-style weapons effective immediately in a direct response to the Florida school shooting. Edward Stack, CEO of Dick Sporting Goods, said on Good Morning America, when we saw what happened in Parkland, we were so disturbed and upset. We love these kids and they're rallying cry. Enough is enough. It got us to uh, at Dick's which has more than 600 stores across the U.S., also announced it will no longer sell high-capacity magazines or any gun to anyone under 21, regardless of what the local laws are. Wow, that's That's huge. Yeah. They uh, confirmed the companies, uh, they actually sold one of the guns to the shooter last November, not the one he used in the shooting, but he had like seven or eight of these rifles. Oh, wow. So they, uh, they don't want that to be uh, something that they're connected with in yeah. the future and they, you know, reassessing how they do business. The CEO said he expects a backlash against the decision, but added, if the kids in Parkland are being brave enough to stand up and do this, we can be brave enough to stand up with them. That's cool. So... Moving I mean, forward you got to do that. something, right? And you uh, can you imagine being a, a big chain a CEO of a big chain like that, and your gun was used in that shooting, and then made a, a major part of CNN. Yeah, some night of dealing with the shootings on CNN. Oh boy! Another mm. uh, news: White House advisor Jared Kushner long, no longer has access to top secret intelligence after his security clearance was downgraded, according to Politico. Uh, Kushner and other aides with interim top secret level security clearance were informed by memo on Friday that their security clearance would be downgraded to secret. Yeah. President Trump has the power to provide Kushner access, but said on Friday the same day that the memo was signed that he would leave the decision to his chief of staff. Wow. So we'll see if he goes over his chief of and staff's he said, head. And he said, because I know my chief of staff will make the best, most appropriate decision. Right. And But the chief of staff made the decision that no clearance for you. Right. Now, it's interesting. They're saying it will not affect his ability to continue the very important work he's been assigned to do. Other reports say that he doesn't have access to the documents that kind of deal with most of the stuff he's trying to do. So I don't know how that works. If you don't have access to the information, you can't be in room for certain meetings. How can you continue? Well, maybe this is the case? beginning. We were hearing last year, weren't we, um, that maybe Kushner and Ivanka were going to... Yeah. To leave. because the idea. And so maybe the – because remember, uh, Ivanka got in trouble for making diplomatic gestures toward North Korea or South Korea yeah. without being informed. Well, and she was there. She's not a She diplomat. was there for the Olympics. There was some concern that she's the head of this envoy and should she be representing the country yeah. in that way? She doesn't have any background in it. So but, they kind of either have got to be cleared and in the team, yeah. on the team, or it seems like – Maybe you just go back to New York and make money. Maybe. She has shoes to sell. Or just stay in D.C. and make money. Could be. The Trump family and the president's oldest son, Don Jr., in particular, angry about the overwhelmingly negative TV coverage about Jared Kushner last night and feels the White House chief of staff is hanging Jared out to dry, a source familiar with the family and and situation tells Axios. Foreign officials from China, Israel, Mexico, and the United Arab Emirates have all reportedly discussed how to manipulate presidential advisor Jared Kushner through his business ventures and political inexperience. According to the Washington Post, Kushner's conversation with foreign officials, which were not properly reported to the National Security Council, have prevented him from being granted a permanent security clearance. Uh, That Washington Post article talks about how countries would come in and be like, no, can we just talk to Jared? Everybody else go. Let's, Let's 
Let's bring Jared in. And the reason is he's inexperienced. They can talk with him, maybe get a deal out of him because he's not sure what's happening. He also still has other business dealings, right? So is he he... does like huge debt to other countries as they try to keep the Kushner family business alive. That's yeah, just so that they're not sure if that's what it is. There's a standard that you have to live up to, right? Uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, director of U.S. Cyber Command and the National Security Agency, told lawmakers yesterday that he has not been granted the authority by President Trump to disrupt Russian election hacking operations. Asked by Democratic Senator Jack Reed if he's been directed by the president through the defense secretary to confront Russian cyber operations at, at the source, Rogers says, no, I have not, but noted that he has tried to work Roger within that. his work within the authority he maintains as a commander. So he's not, he goes, clearly what we have done has not been enough. Now, the White House, Press Secretary Sanders, says nobody is denying him the authority. We're looking at a number of different ways that we can put pressure this is a very important issue, very consequential. The top cyber. So, I mean, the idea that you that have the top cyber person saying, interview. I've never, I haven't been directed to do anything. Somebody else on that committee in a general's, like an admiral's uniform, was saying, let me just kind of clarify a little bit of that. It's not like we haven't been, we're not doing anything that they're doing to us. We're not doing to them. And they, 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 he said that in the meeting. Wow. And then he's nice. Like, so there's, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's... Um, I've heard people hint towards it, but no one actually confirmed it. Yeah. And it's kind of been the idea. The thought is that, yeah, we're doing it to them. That's why, they, yeah. you know... We're not doing it the way they're doing it to us. Yeah. It was just really awkward. But boy, that... Yeah, he's going to have to get on that. Like, because the elections are coming. Yeah. And stuff has to be ready and prepared, or so their impact is he's already. He's saying going he to hasn't hit. been directed to do anything, right. and the White House is saying no one's stopping you. Get on it. That's- and he's like, I. He goes, I'm operations. I do what I'm directed to do. I don't just you know go out I don't on a invent limb. stuff, right? So he, I, huh. it's kind of an interesting argument back and forth. Finally, please say a. a uh, a, a very a clue basically led to the arrest of a Pennsylvania man charged with stealing a pot of meatballs. Uh-oh. He had red sauce smeared on his face and his oh, clothes. Oh, boy. Right? So authorities have charged 48-year-old Lehman Glenn Robert Porter, four names, by the way. Yeah. Lehman Glenn Robert Porter. Because one's not good enough. No. With burglary, criminal trespass, and theft by unlawfully taking for uh, unlawful taking for allegedly swiping the pot of meatballs from a man's garage Monday. Police say the victim reported his meatballs missing, told officers around 2.30 Monday that he saw pot, this potter man standing in front of his house with red sauce on his face and clothes. The pot was found in the street. It's unclear if Potter what? washed the sauce off before he was arrested a short time later. What? There always have to be pot of meatballs. So it didn't go as far <laughs> as... magically delicious. It didn't go as far as to say he was caught red-handed, but yeah, face and red shirt. Faced, yeah. yeah. Um, don't you hate it when they're after your pot of meatballs? <laughs> How do you call it in? Someone stole my meatballs. We'll be right there, sir. Isn't that amazing? There is a pot of meatballs at the end of every rainbow. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know it was meatballs. Mm-hmm. Huh. I thought it was and, a pot of gold. Well, some would consider that as good as gold. Nee. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so you could see someone trying to make that connection on a menu for like an Italian restaurant. Yeah. They call it the pot of gold. It's a big bowl of meatballs. Well, you just shared that with us yesterday. The bread bowl of meatballs. That's right. It's a pizza uh, smashed into a bowl. Yeah. Um, well, boys, I'm proud of you. Really? You've done it. You've I don't know how you did it, but Are you are you talking about my silver in the walking Olympics? My silver medal? You're bringing that up? Yeah. No. 
I will be what I'm talking about. crowned today. Is that the right term? Crowned? Um, Awarded. Okay. Yeah. You Actually, don't win. I don't know that we knighted? can. Knighted? Ha- I think I don't know that we can have you go. We, we, we've got an interview we need you <laughs> no, we're busy. to do. So, so why are you proud of us? Just because, again, we, we're almost done with February. Right. Today would be the last day. I had a lot to do with the passing of that time, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always surprised that you guys made it another month. I don't know why. But we're still here? Just in that this and that you're still doing the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh thank you. We we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> did uh did you see the billboard about Serena Williams, by the way? What did it say? Greatest so she's a goat. Instead of a goat, she's a gmote, gamote. Greatest mother ah. of all time. Really? Mm. It was Just, a billboard uh that was set up by her hubby. Oh, okay. In oh. California. That works. She is the greatest mother of all time. A lot of women don't like to be called goats. Well, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a sports term, so, you know, she understands. Yeah, she totally does. Don't you wonder what your wife would put up as, as a billboard for you? I think I have a pretty good idea. What would she put? I don't know the exact wording. Yeah. But it would be one of those sort of sideways compliments. Yeah. Where it's kind of maybe a little condescending, like eh, yeah. patting you on the head sort of thing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you did a good job. Like, hey, greatest non-ruiner of my dinner. Right. Yeah. Mine would probably say, this billboard will stay up until my husband cleans his side of the bed. There you go. Or his bedside table. <laughs> yeah, I was opening. <laughs> what are you doing in your side of the bed? There's crackers and wrappers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a plate of meatballs. <laughs> Not- of yeah. course it's nachos. Oh, that's true. Don't yeah. bring those up. I'm sorry, but you know that's what mm. he's eating in bed. So if there's can, not a, not only crumbs, but cheese sauce. Maybe if I can it's make gross. my my last diet bet game this weekend, maybe that's what I'll get. It's a plate of nachos, and I'll eat it in bed. Oh, wow. Somebody's planning a big weekend. It's going to get messy. <laughs> well, I think you're all goats. That's good. That's good stuff. And uh, that's kind of nice. How would you like to just be driving down some street in California and all of a sudden you see your big face on the billboard holding your baby? Serena Williams, the G-Mote, greatest mother of all time. Now, I'm sure there's a million women out there saying, what? What about me? All right. We'll continue the journey up next. We're going to be talking about how this year's severe flu epidemic has exposed a serious flaw in our medical uh, system powerful uh, little problem we got that we'll be having to fix I think very quickly. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that the United States IV, so intravenous saline solution, comes mainly from Puerto Rico? But after the hurricane in Puerto Rico, our supplies were running short, right? Which wouldn't seem like 
that big of a deal, except for the fact that a certain IV and saline solution is critical and necessary for some of the worst flu um, patients. Those patients need a lot of saline uh, in order to also put other drugs into their system and, and to help them heal and get better. So it uh, it actually had this weird convergence of of problems that came down the pike this year. We had a major flu outbreak where, remember, we talked about it on the show, I think like 4,000 people were dying, I think, a week in that outbreak. I don't know what the numbers are now. But we also had a hurricane in Puerto Rico where one of our number one providers of the saline solution um, is, is, is doing and, and making all of the saline. So here to speak with us a little bit about the problem that that created is Morton Wendalbo, who is a research fellow at the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs and um, also a faculty member at Texas A&M University. He's going to walk us through how this crazy little weird scenario actually exposed a serious flaw in our medical system. Uh, Morton, thank you so much for being with us today. Morning, Matt. Thank you for having me. It, it seems like this this was a, a really crazy kind of once in maybe every a decade event. Is it, was it was this a weird experience that we found this error in our in our medical system, or is this something we could expect more of in the future? Um, I, I unfortunately I, I think we can expect a lot more of it in the future, um, uh, and, and we can get to just why that is in, in a little bit. Yeah. But, um, the. The, the thing is, we've known for a long, long time that this was an issue. Uh, it's just that the IV saline, um, um, uh, you know, a shortage sort of exposed it, made it very tangible, made it very obvious that, whoa, we've got a, you know, we've got a major flaw uh, in the system. And there were, uh, there are, there are other treatments other than the IV, sa- IV saline, but they're dangerous, they're life-threatening, and they have to be done appropriately. And um, so I guess talk to us about what you see the real problem is and, and what uh, kind of this movement – one of the ideas, I guess, is globalization, how globalization impacts and is impacting our, our own you know, medical system. Yeah, it's almost fully a consequence of globalization. So globalization, uh, for a number of different reasons, means that a lot of pieces of production gets moved abroad, uh, typically because it's a lot cheaper to produce basically anything uh, in in a country uh, abroad, or in, in the case of IV saline, not abroad, but in a U.S. territory um, in Puerto Rico, where the minimum wage is significantly lower than it is here and so on. Is it so? So um, globalization that be, it becomes cheaper to do that, and then I mean I, I look at it this too. Like um, I mean, there's companies making a lot of money on this, but it, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily watching everything as closely as maybe they need to be. Absolutely, I, I think part of the solution to this problem is is companies. Companies need to look ahead when they are producing critical goods and IV saline is a critical good and we have, you know, um, a few hundred medications that we would consider critical goods. Coal and and other fossil fuels are critical goods in the time of disaster. We need to have the companies that produce and supply these understand their supply chains well enough to know that if part of their supply chain breaks down, if there's a hurricane that shuts down their production, they need to warn the authorities that they won't be able to deliver on time. Mm. And think about that. Like business-wise, 
that's bad business, right? Sometimes you don't want to let everybody know about certain shortages. But one of the problems that's also uh, happening, it seems like, that these same businesses are also buying into this uh, this approach to organizing their um, inventory that's called just-in-time shipment. So instead of having you know a lot of saline ba- on back storage and produce a lot that then may not be able to be sold – they're actually producing it just in time and shipping it out and getting it out just almost as every store needs it. And that's actually a brilliant plan until there's a hurricane and a flu epidemic that starts to hit. Yeah, and and the reason why companies do that is because it's a lot cheaper and they can produce according to demand. And it means we don't have to have expensive storage anywhere. So um, for some medications and for IV saline as well, we do have storages of IV saline. So it's not that if we don't have deliveries tomorrow, we will run out. Um, It's just that if we can't deliver for weeks and weeks, then we're going to start running out. But the reason why they do it, think about a company like Amazon, and Amazon is sort of the the poster child for just-in-time. Storage is very expensive, so sellers who sell through Amazon pay per the cubic foot for storage at uh, Amazon warehouses, and it's expensive. So you want the goods to be in the warehouse just long enough that it could be turned around and be sent off again to the customer. And in, in some cases, you know, you, sometimes we can receive packages at home privately. A couple of times a day, UPS or FedEx will come by. Hospitals receive life-saving medications sometimes up to three times a day. And it's because so many goods move so fast and are delivered just in time. Uh, because it's so much cheaper not to store uh, not to store large uh, shares of them, and so it, it makes sense business wise, um, but it may not make sense to the overall health of the country to have um, to have these potential downtimes. Talk about what what are some solutions? What who needs to step in? Is this a government thing? Is it a business thing? Um, what are some possible solutions? I think it is what we would consider a public-private partnership. The government has a responsibility, certainly, to have the overall view of what's going on. So um, the CDC, the Centers uh, for Disease Control, which is headquartered in Atlanta, they are on top of emerging diseases across the United States and really actually across the world. The CDC plays a role in a lot of other countries as well. And that's part of the story, but they're not in charge of the supply chain. So between the knowledge they have of emerging um, disasters, private companies have much more knowledge of their supply chains than the public ever could. And somehow the two of, the, the two of those need to inform each other. So what we think is the solution, my, my colleague that I wrote this article with, Dr. Blackburn and I, what we think the solution is, is to get to know these supply chains a lot better and have sort of early warning systems set in so that when there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico and we know that 45 or so percent of our IV saline comes from Puerto Rico and it looks like that production is going to be down for a long time, we knew that pretty early on, um, then there needs to be some kind of contingency. We need to start looking abroad for other solutions or internally domestically because we can produce saline domestically, just not in those uh, large amounts or not domestically, but on the mainland, of course, because Puerto Rico is, is domestic to the United States. Um, but the problem, so so for Hurricane Maria, for example, that was that was in the mid fall. That was three months before uh, we had an IV saline shortage here in the United States, really. 
Uh, mm. So we had lots of time to see it coming. But and it's not that nobody was looking, but it's not that it, it's that not everybody that was supposed to be looking at the same time and each had a piece of the puzzle were talking to each other uh, carefully enough, at least. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because we, uh, you know, everybody has a different view on how much government interference you want. But we've also had experts in on the show talking about this epidemic. I mean, with 4,000 people dying like a week for a while, it was um, – that's crazy, right? This is the flu. And um, – but but there was a shortness on so many of these supplies. And it, it seems like when it comes to public health, you can't just rely on businesses, corporations to just do their best. You know, we need to, we right. need to make sure we have – a supply, especially of something as simple as saline, because literally every IV, pretty much every IV could be started. You could start saline on somebody and it would just rehydrate. It would just start taking care of a lot of very basic things that they need. And so um, I guess one solution you're saying is, is, a, is a strong interplay between government and uh, and our corporate system. What about to – I mean it, it, some countries actually – have the government involved in more of these things, right? Even even owning businesses or providing their own suppliers and, and managing some of the basic needs. Do you think government should ever go that far? Well, so let me say in, in, a, in a very basic sense, no matter what your um, persuasion about the role of government in general is sort of politically, in public health, nobody can replace the government. It, it, it just isn't a viable option because – you were thinking about, I mean, an a, a influenza uh, epidemic that's across the, the continental United States. Right. And nobody has the structure in the private sector to deal with it. And in a lot of ways, they don't have the incentives to deal with it because mm. during times of disaster, actually, there typically isn't a lot of money to be made, but there is a lot of work to be done. And government plays a crucial role in that. Now, government outright getting involved in the production, that's an interesting question. And one, I, I think that veers very, that very easily veers over into sort of um, ethical or ideological questions. There, there is a role for government in a few cases to um, support production. So here at Texas A&M, for example, we um, built a new um, vac- vaccine factory, let's call it that, it, over the last few years, and it's supported by federal uh, government money. And what it does is it's increasingly enabling us to produce uh, certain types of vaccines very, very quickly. It actually uses tobacco plants to produce vaccines. Um, No private enterprise has the funds um, or the incentives to go and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars setting up a factory like this unless there is already um, a demand to respond to. The problem is, of course, once there is a demand, once there is an epidemic, then we don't have time to set it up. So government is crucial. Hmm. But government outright producing it, um, that's a good question. I, I can see a few situations in which you may want government facilities able to produce it, but producing it on a day-to-day basis for uh, commercial consumption, I think government uh, would have a very hard time competing with uh, with companies on the price point. And you and could, yeah, you could see like with vaccines, something like that. There, there needs to just be a really strong partnership. But then you also see when we went through our hurricane season, not only Puerto Rico, but Houston, Texas, and Florida, and all of these other places were so impacted by it that 
Um, there are other needs, right? Meta, I mean, we, then the, I guess the Red Cross comes in. But, yeah, you make a great point that it's such a massive enterprise that, it, yeah, you can't beat government at their ability to move stuff and, and, and have the authority instantly to, to make something happen. What, what can we, the rest of us, do to make sure that, um, you know, we're protected going forward? How do we – I mean, this is kind of a global issue and this is a – a really high-level problem. Um, is there anything that we just can do in our own neighborhoods and our own lives to make sure we're protected? Well, yes. the The first thing is to uh, is to get vaccinated. And uh, so, when it comes to the flu, for example, there are things we can't get vaccinated for, but um, for influenza, we can. And part of the reason why this year the influenza uh, outbreak was so large, significantly larger than it was last year. Uh, was because it was a strain of the flu that hasn't come up recently. So a lot of people didn't have immunity. And actually, the vaccine this year wasn't geared towards this particular strain. So um, I'm seeing a lot of sort of pushback. You know, well, I got vaccinated, but I got the flu anyway. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, that's true. But one thing to know is that even if the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting sick, we know now that the vaccine um, makes the symptoms significantly uh, uh, better in, in a sense. Like you don't get as sick. Right. Um, you're much less likely to get life-threatening symptoms from it and so on. Um, and so there is this, unfortunately, this movement against vaccinations, particularly in the United States and in, in Northern and Western Europe, that really isn't quite warranted. And when you look at just what happened this year, I can see, well, why, what's the point of getting the flu vaccine? Because I got sick anyway, even though I got it. And there are lots of people who didn't get the vaccine who didn't get sick. Um, but it's a, little bit, it's a little bit like the lottery in that sense. Like yeah. you see somebody win it, you're more likely to play it. But if nobody around you wins the lottery, you're, more, you're less likely to play it. Well, we can't at our individual level see the movements of influenza or diseases or global crises um, you have to trust in vaccinations and that there are thousands of medical professionals around the United States and the world who are dedicated to making sure that we are the best protected as we can. And they all almost entirely unanimously um, propose that we get the vaccinations, not just for the influenza, but for, for other diseases as well. So true. And uh, we also, you know, that's we, we need to do it together. And that makes overall health for all of us better. The more of us are involved in that, the more of us that are doing that. So Morton, thank you so much. Morton Wendelbo is his name. Again, he is a research fellow at the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs and a faculty member at Texas A&M University. His research focuses on disaster preparedness and response, domestic and international uh, uh, disasters as well. And we appreciate his, uh, his time and his, his interesting insight into that. So do what you can do, right? I mean, I do know people that in their 24-hour kits, they do have some medical supplies. I even know people that have saline solution and saline IVs, but they also know how to give those IVs. Um, so don't think, you know, you just only have to depend on the government, but the government could be better at it. All of us can be better at, at preparing and, and making our lives a little bit safer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. (music) 
Welcome back, friends. You know, everybody has a price. Everybody has a number that you would, uh, you know. Uh, Hiram Smith used to say, cross the I-beam for. So if I put a big metal I-beam, steel I-beam between the Sears Towers, what would I have to pay you to cross it? There's a show on Netflix called The Push. It's oh, really? New. The idea is these people will try to convince an individual to do something they don't want to do. And, and everyone will have a price. What's right? your price? Yeah, that's the whole show. And so <laughs> Terry's found some research done on millennials about what, what's their price. I found this on uh, CNBC just so I can. Cool. Yeah. You know, it's not for me. No, you just found now, it. Now, Jeff, how you old didn't are, even, You happened upon it. How old are you, Jeff? I'm 34. He's mm, a millennial. Okay. About to well, be 35. Well, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really help much. Uh, though they're uh, sometimes labeled as lazy and entitled, millennials are actually making significant sacrifices in order to get ahead in their careers, taking on piles of student debt, living at home, and uh, for, uh, for what foregoing getting a place of their own are just a few of the ways millennial generation are trying to make ends meet, save money plan for the future. So it says when financial services company Comet surveyed uh, 364 single employed uh, millennials without children, so single employed millennials without children, they found that the relationship were another area 20 to 36 year olds, (laughs) he's a millennial, were willing to cut back. In fact, 41% said they would end a relationship for a promotion. 41% would end a relationship. Four out of 10 Millennials would say they would end a relationship if it would get them a promotion. Yeah. Wow. Millennials are so focused on career advancement that respondents admitted that they would be willing to stay single for 11 years, delay marriage for seven years, and put off having kids for eight if it meant getting ahead at work. Really? So big life choices. I I didn't know millennials were that, that into getting promoted. Yeah. They would, they would go 11 years without... Stay single for 11, delay marriage for seven, and put off kids for eight. Wow. Hmm. But a lot of that just happens without, you know, hoping I, for it. Right. But they're, they're, just happens. they would yeah. say they'd make a logical choice. They'd make a – That's just, interesting. They'd make a choice. This is what my plan is for the future. But a willingness to sacrifice for their career does not mean millennials won't compromise. A whopping 86% of respondents said they would move to another city if their beloved was offered a better job. Really? 86% would move. But, but the funny thing is, apparently most of them don't have a beloved. <laughs> I think one of, I think, they're all waiting to get a better job first. I, I think when interviewed, one of them said, I wasn't even planning on moving out of my mom's house for 10 years. <laughs> when it comes to getting a raise, millennials were similarly willing to sacrifice. Almost a third said they would end a relationship for a raise. These workers on average said that thirty six a $36,000 raise would convince them to put off having a relationship. <sighs> really? 3000 a month? Mm. And you're like, I'm done with you. So when I read this to my wife last night, she went, huh. I'm like, wait, what are you <laughs> talking she's about? thinking, oh, no. <laughs> she's running the numbers. She huh. goes, no, no, no. She goes, I'm married now. But when I was single. That's interesting. Isn't that wild? I mean, and boy, I, I think you need to be married to get progress going in a lot of these things. So I oh, grew yeah. up right. in an era where you get married and that was one of the steps, right? Yeah. And you I ended up getting more promotions as I'd have more kids because I had more people to feed. So I worked harder. Hmm. But 
And they're doing it the other way. They're just going to put all that yeah. off until they have all or that they're, established. They're at least willing to. I See, I wouldn't have been willing to do that. It says, however, convincing millennials to put off getting married and having kids is significantly more expensive. Respondents said an average raise of 64000 a year would be enough to postpone getting hitched, and 67000 a year would be enough to delay starting a family. Mm. Man. I, maybe what the problem is is we apparently haven't made marriage very attractive. Well, there's that. I mean, maybe that's where it, we've let them down. As it parents. is what the fifty percent rate. Yeah, for divorce. So it seems kind of trivial at here's, times. Here's, I think, the, one of the dilemmas with the millennials is their parents are sitting there saying, "No, no, 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 no. Do not get married until you have a good job." Mm-hmm. So it might be the parents' fault that the millennials are thinking like this, right? Like, don't get married until so – because a lot of them are saying that. Don't get married till you have your degree. Don't get married till you have a good job, till you're established. Right. Their parents have probably – maybe they had struggles. Yeah. And they don't see the benefit of the struggles. They don't want their kids to have a struggle. And they really want them out of their house. <laughs> that would probably be a bigger thing. Because, I mean, if you're living in, the mom, in mom's house yeah. with the current job you have – and then yeah. you get married. Does, does, yeah. does the couple just move into the basement? That's kind of Mom, weird. I'm in love with Timmy, and I think we're going to – no, shush. No, no. You are going to get a job and get promoted. Give up Timmy. Timmy's not good for you. Well, Timmy might be working at the you know fast food place down the street, not yeah. necessarily have that job you want Timmy's to have. Timmy's got student debt. I think you're just saying that because his name is Timmy. I don't know why I always use Timmy. I used to use Jeff, and then you, when you joined the show, I couldn't use it anymore. But Timmy's again, have other jobs other than fast food clerk. Yeah. But again, according to this financial services company, they define a millennial as right now being between the ages of 20 and 36. Yeah, Jeff's age. Which means if you're within those, those parameters, you will never escape that label. You will always be a millennial. Wow. We have a lot of millennials in the audience today. Yeah, yeah well... We trend younger on the show. But I am glad that we finally have solidified the fact that Jeffrey is a millennial. You're wrong. He always says he's a zennial. Yeah. He's trying to join the group I'm in, Mm -hmm. and it's just not working. Wrong. He's just too young. He's too, what is it, inexperienced? Yeah. Kind of that. Wrong. Youthful. Yeah. Making bad decisions, taking on unnecessary debt. (laughs) So much fun. See, we're helping you not only understand millennials, we're helping you put a label on an entire generation. <laughs> and now we know. I'm X generation, Terry Zennial, and Jeffrey Millennial. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue to uh, bring you the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Hey, uh, have you ever pulled up to a red light and just had to sit there and sit there, you know, maybe at night and nobody's there? Yeah. Maddening. Well, apparently in Utah, they're creating a new law that might change some of that. So uh, lawmakers considering giving Utah drivers a green light to run red lights at times of extremely low travel when no other cars are present after coming to a full stop. So treat it as a stop sign. That is great. The Safe on Red Bill, not the Run a Red Light Bill. <laughs> making clear that's the name of it here. So they're uh, 
they're pushing forward with this. There's been they have a couple incidents here where people sat there. He goes, I decided to run the red light even though nobody was there. A police officer saw him and gave him a ticket. He fought it in court, but the judge told him there is a no common sense. There is no common sense measure to this law. You ran a red light. So you get the ticket and pay the fine, he said. If you don't like it, I suggest you get with your representative. So he did. Hmm. Good for him. The citizens out there doing that. Uh, the Department of Transportation is opposed to the bill, says we're concerned about telling people it's okay to go through a red light. Um, sh- uh, the spokesperson adds that about half of all urban crashes occur at intersections, including 36% of all fatalities. Yeah. And then they start talking about the advanced traffic system. Nobody cares nah, about nah, the traffic nah. lights. Come on. So uh, the the so the House has already approved uh, a bill allowing bicyclists to run red light yeah. in the state of Utah. Hold on. Why can they do it? Well, they're bicycles. They're even less protected. And they can treat stop signs as yield signs. Oh, come on. Right? So in small intersections, not involving multi-lane roads. Maybe it has something this, to so. do with the poundage. Might be. I mean, a car weighs, what, 3,000 pounds? <laughs> when my first child was born, we had to race across the valley at, what, well, like 2 o'clock in the morning? Race? Yeah. My wife's water broke yeah. at home. No, no. She went into labor for several hours, didn't know it was labor, because first yeah, child wasn't some, sure yeah, what was going know. on. And then she goes, I think we better go. And so we, we you know, and I'm new father, so I'm like heading. I, and we new. ran every red light across the valley. See? It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I don't care. You were fine. Blew right through. Because then, then there was that, that scene where the cop pulls you over and they go, my wife's right. pregnant. And he like gives you the, the, the escort By the to way, the hospital. By the way, fire trucks but... run red lights and they don't just run a red light. They stop, clear, and then go. They, you're not safe if a car's coming. No. I mean, I, when I was working on an ambulance in college, I about died in an ambulance because people don't hear you. So you stop at every light still. You clear it, and then with prudence, you go. So that's all this law would say but is, this is you something... stop and clear it, and yeah. then you can go. This is something that could work across the, the nation because there's always times where you yeah. stop there and there's nobody there. Maybe there needs to it's be a safe. time go frame. Like after midnight, you're allowed to – I don't know. They'll start it some way like that. Well, at least uh, maybe that's progress. But it scares people still. Doing what we can, folks, to uh, give you some hope that someday you'll be able to run a red light legally. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry, a, a, a conglomerate of human beings wow. together to help make your life easier. A conglomerate? A cartel. A cartel. I was yeah. going to say cartel, mm. but then I thought that sounds so drug related. Ah, a a yeah, conglomerate of humans. Well, you always to... say you say the gang. The yeah. gang's all here, mm-hmm. and then I always think of the Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh, is that really? Yeah, I don't I, even think I've ever seen the Apple Terry Dumpling Gang. You the haven't bloods seen and that? The I don't think we, so. used, we used to watch it at school for Christmas. Uh, yeah, do you remember that? That was a good they day. Had the reel to reel. And then it would stop halfway through and you'd yell back at the teacher. Hey! I, I remember being like a second grader and I would just always look back to the sixth grade girl uh, that I was just so enamored with. 
just so enamored. In second grade, you mm-hmm. were enamored with she, it. Well, wow. she was. She made Marsha Brady look like a. Wow. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I was really in love with this. When you girl. start diminishing Marsha, I know this, but she kind of looked like Marsha. But then, anyway, I've I've actually talked to her since, and I've told her recently that she was my second grade crush. Wow, that's creepy. I don't know. There's something about older women. <laughs> Is your wife older than you? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, you have a type. I have a type. Huh. Yep. Anywho. Does she lord that over you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Do you point that out? She's like, come here, little boy. Do you point that out to her? Yeah. I always say, I, I'm always told to respect my elders. And then like when we're in a conversation with somebody else, and I'll turn to my wife and ask her a question. And then she gets mad. Yeah, that's a little rude. <laughs> of the four uh, men in my family, I'm the only one that married a woman younger. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. See that? I guess you were more mature hmm. than them. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, let me think a second. Yeah, it doesn't maybe necessarily sound right, does it? So um, we've got a lot to cover. Um, the kids are going back to school in Florida. Half days. Is that a half day? Yep. The rest well, of the week yeah. it'll be a half day. Yeah, that's good. Get them in there. Counselors are there. Each classroom that had uh, a student that uh, died in that class, they will have a counselor there. Oh, wow. Can you, you know, imagine? There's a desk that's empty now. Yep. And you need to process. Honestly, it would be a really – I think it could be a really effective process to be able to have everyone just talk. Now, you don't want four days of just doing that. Also do some other stuff. But right. the more you can you can communicate through it, the more – I the, mean – The building that most of the uh, shootings took place in is now surrounded by a fence – Posters up and banners surrounding it for like support for mm. the student body and yeah. because it's a crime scene and they're trying to minimize it. The building will be knocked down once it's not a crime scene anymore and they will uh, do something else there. Unbelievable. You just don't think you'd ever have to go through stuff like that. No. And in your school. I mean, again, you guys, but I'm in my high school probably every week picking up kids, dropping off kids, going to events. So it becomes – as your kids get older, it becomes your community center. It's where you hang out. It's where you go. And and uh, so tragedy. Tragic. Uh, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what other things – what else should we be paying attention to? After uh, three hours of testifying before the House Intelligence Committee on Tuesday, White House Communications Director Hope Hicks had reportedly disclosed nothing of substance. One member, uh, Representative Danny Heck of West Virginia – or is it Washington? Heck and Hicks. Heck, I believe he's from Washington, said the committee got bannoned, suggesting the White House had a tight hold over Hicks's testimony. Representative Peter King of New York said that Hicks answered questions about the campaign, but was instructed by the White House to not answer questions regarding the transition or her time in the White House. Oh. Other members of the press, others told the press that it was pretty boring and they needed some no-dose. Which is a caffeine pill to keep them awake. Or a character from Breaking Bad. Could be. The committee was interested in learning more about Hicks' correspondence with members of the Trump campaign who were involved with Russians and her role in the drafting of a June 2016 statement in response to reports of Russian meeting meeting campaign officials in Trump Tower. Now, the meeting happened during the campaign, right? The writing of the public, I guess, explanation of what that meeting was happened during the presidency. Oh. So you see the conflict yeah. there. They're yeah. trying to get to, did you 
did you write the letter? Did the president write the letter? Who's the source of this letter that said it was just about adoptions when they were in there saying, hey, we had dirt on Hillary Clinton? Yeah. This is a big collusion point that could be there, and she's not talking about half of it. Now, she did talk about the campaign, and if you are talking about collusion, that's where it where right, it's right. purported to have possibly talk happened. about that. So she talked about that. But when it came to the presidency, you know, the president has a right to privacy, and he can disclose if he wants to and all that stuff. Now, she hmm. did say that she committed some white lies. Oh, they asked in the White her, House, yeah. They asked her, and I heard a, a, a representative that's on that committee this morning, a Republican, saying that it was very interesting how the Democrats set this up because they got to admit to lying about things. Like, is the president in when someone calls, but the president's asked for privacy? No, he's not in. Can I take a message? That's a lie. Liar! It's not substantial. It doesn't right. matter, but right. it's a lie. So now you see all these headlines of, oh, she says she lied for the president. Right. When it's stuff like that, or is there a meeting, somebody wants to meet with him, but he's you know in private to yeah. say, I'm not here. Yeah. But she's not like, no, he didn't meet with the Russians. <laughs> no, and so no he doesn't to, use a spray tan. You try to confuse the message by, oh, she lied. Well, Interesting. She didn't lie. Yeah. But that, that, that made big news, big but it, headlines. But this it is, is the communications director, by the way, of the White House. Yes. And this is interesting that during the campaign is when the meeting happened after the campaign was when this letter was written and she won't talk about the end of the story right. because it's during the presidency yeah and if you remember bannon it was there was reports that he had a lawyer sitting next to him on a phone to the white house right. in this meeting with the house intelligence committee and he'd relay the question oh uh, no we can't talk about that one <laughs> <laughs> how wild that was the that? reports i'm not sure if that's exactly how it worked but that was the reports that they were on the phone getting clearance on every question <laughs> They should give you one lifeline, like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He gets one phone right. a friend. Yeah. He'd call a friend. Didn't um, President Obama recently say, well, we didn't have any embarrassing Yeah, he had a off-the-record, off it was at a sports analytics conference. And it was off-the-record, but everyone started tweeting about it. And he goes, yeah, we, did, we were kind of boring. We didn't... We just did our jobs. We didn't have all these controversies every five days. And usually you wait a few years to have your big controversy. Yeah. Not like day one. That's what you like about Trump is he just jumped right in and got right into it. He's keeping it interesting. Well, yeah, he is. And it was interesting because during the inauguration, they, it was on a Friday. They were going to give everyone the weekend and we'll start day one, which yeah. was Monday. Right. And they actually started Saturday because that's when they brought out the two photos about the right. size of the crowd. and looked Well, they at, had you to know. get that straight because yeah, the like press was totally Day one, they're right at it, so... It was great. This has been this has been a wonderful <laughs> ride. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team has reportedly started to ask witnesses about President Donald Trump's business dealings in Russia that took place prior to the 2016 campaign. According to CNN, witnesses have been asked about a uh, failed effort to develop a Trump Tower in Moscow, in addition to potential blackmail the Russians might have on the president. You ask everything, even if you don't think it's a, it's credible. A source told CNN the allegations are out there. And it's uh, it was checking the box. Got to make sure we check all these different pieces that have come out in the story and see if there's anything there to follow. Um, it is interesting. They, uh, um, President Trump did say that if he originally that if Mueller crossed the line into his businesses, then there'd be a problem. And yeah. Mueller's just jumping well, right in both feet, except for the Russian connection to business. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. that would be critical to the investigation. Sure, but he, Trump did say, if you cross into my businesses, that's where we draw a line. That has nothing to do with what you're what you're investigating, except he can draw a line. So we'll see what happens. Wow. 
Maybe he'll get the taxes out. You remember uh, Judge Gonzalo Curiel? Oh yeah, Curiel. Yeah, Curiel. He's the. Uh, he was actually hearing a. Uh, it was about Trump University during the campaign. They had this case in San Diego, oh, yeah. and Trump. Um, alluded to he didn't really say it it was kind of implied that this judge couldn't was couldn't be impartial because of his mexican heritage yeah and yeah. i got a bunch of flack over I mean, that the minute you tell a judge he can't be impartial because of his yeah family's heritage, heritage. and the president's stance on the wall and the comments yeah. he made about what kind yeah, of people are coming across time. the border so a u.s district judge gonzalo curiel has cleared one potential obstacle to President Donald Trump's long-promised border wall, ruling Tuesday that the administration has the authority to waive a host of environmental laws and other regulations to begin construction. The judge's 100-page order does not mean construction of the wall will begin immediately. Congress has yet to authorize or provide funding for the project. Thus far, the Department of Homeland Security has built several prototypes in San Diego. The judge was famously a target of Trump's ire, again, back with the Trump University case. Um, he, the, the judge noted that the border wall is a highly contentious issue under this administration, but he said he did not factor that into his decision. Okay. But Hey, he could be impartial. Apparently. Trump proven wrong. <laughs> that's interesting. I saw that yesterday and went, Whoa, that's weird. Maybe, maybe people aren't as, maybe they can't be stereotyped as easily as president Trump might think. Wow. It's kind of weird. Maybe people actually do have the ability to Do you think he's think. Ma- is he making this connection? I don't know. Oh. Probably. Someone needs to like tweet at him Hope or something. H- Hope Hicks will tell him some. Will she? Yeah. Okay. A little white line, maybe. And finally, the moon will get its first mobile phone network next year, enabling high-definition streaming from the lunar landscape back to Earth, which is part of a project to back the first privately funded moon mission. If we're going to go to the moon, we've got to have cell phones. That... Hmm. I, really? Wouldn't you go up there to get away from it all? Well, no. They need to be able to get information from the moon back to Earth in a more timely manner rather than the however long it takes now through so, radio transmissions. So like AT&T is going to put a tower up there? No. Vodafone from Germany, uh, network equipment maker Nokia and car maker Audi said on Tuesday they were working together to support the mission. 50 years after the first NASA astronauts walked on the moon, they want to put Phone service up right, there. Right. Vodafone said it it, ha- it has appointed Nokia as a technology partner to develop a space-grade network, which would be a small piece of hardware weighing less than a bag of sugar. The companies are working with Berlin-based company PT Scientists on the project, with a launch schedule in 2019 from Cape Canaveral on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. I'm, maybe I'm missing this. Am I missing? I feel like I'm missing something here. What? Because... Don't you need – I mean, just because you could build a cell network up there. No, no, no. They're, they're equating it to be a cell network, but it's not like the one we use. They need to have some way to communicate in a faster fashion right. across that distance if they're going to have this mission to the moon. Right. Right. So they're looking at if we're going to get there, what are some of the problems? How do we solve them? This is a problem. Yeah. How do we communicate faster? So, yeah. It, so they're building it. Yeah. It's only the size of a sugar bag. Well, yeah. So they'll have a box that will be able to transmit faster back to the back to Earth. Right, just floating around there for that one trip. There you go. 
for the rest of our existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A metal bag of sugar. They just launched a Tesla into orbit. <laughs> I mean, float. no, didn't it come back down? No, though, I thought I had somebody actual, was telling me the it actual, fell back. The to actual the, cars out there trying to go past Mars. We'll see. Yeah, if but it gets that's there. now. Think of that. I mean, that's cool. Now, because it's were, floating away from there us. There were three rockets, <laughs> right? Two yeah. of the rockets landed like they were supposed to. The third rocket crashed into the ocean. It's always the third rocket. There Don't you, you wonder which of us? So if we were if we were rockets, which of which one of us wouldn't? Make it. Make Ooh. the landing. Mm-hmm. Probably the rocket with Grinkles. That I think that's right. No, but it's you're in space that you don't Yeah. You, Grinkles there's no gravity. They, they would factor. Well, it, would, it was nice flying with you guys. <laughs> it is a symptom of a bigger problem. It's basically whoever brings up the hypothetical first is the one that gets thrown under the bus. It's the symptom of a little problem. I've got little ankles, not big ankles. Well, I think it's a more like systematic type issue. It's not just like one part. It's kind of hmm. evidence of other uh, failures. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, just spitballing here. Okay. Let's get to the other headlines uh, with Jeffrey. Jeff, what uh, what other news is out there in the empty news category? We have some great stories today and actually so many good ones to choose from that I thought we could mix things up a little bit oh, and boy. maybe spin the empty wheel to determine which one we're going to do first. Okay. So it's kind of a – I mean it hasn't been – I didn't been, know we, got, we has, had a wheel made. That's hasn't great. hasn't been greased in a while, so it might be hard on your okay. ears a little bit. And it looks like we're going to start with story number four. Sounds like Terry's bicycle. (laughs) Which I think that you are going to love. Story number four, okay. I don't think we've heard anything like this. We've heard plenty of stories about disgruntled customers at drive-thru windows hurling things into the window or yelling obscenities or doing something to, to harm these poor fast food employees. Listen to this. A Jupiter, Florida... Hmm. Florida man was arrested for throwing a live alligator into a Wendy's restaurant drive through. What? A live alligator. So this guy's name is Joshua James, 23. He was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. How big was this? Imagine the police report on this one. He's like an 11 foot gator. I'll get to that in a minute here. Uh, So. Uh, he was charged with illegally killing, possessing, or capturing an alligator. Oh, wow. And second-degree larceny petty theft, according to the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office. Officials with Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission said that James pulled up for his order, and after a server handed a drink and turned around, James tossed the three-and-a-half-foot gator into the drive through window. That's still enough to three get me and scared. Three-and-a-half-foot? Oh, Yeah. That's still, I mean, that's still enough to get me up on the counter oh, watching yeah. my ankles, not getting them snapped at. <laughs> you know, just throwing them the French fries. Maybe Why did you it's... bring in your ankles into that? Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, that would be terrifying. Oh, yeah. Well, and imagine for the alligator, too. That's terrifying. Like, I mean, he's, that alligator's never even been to a Wendy's. No, and he never will be again. This is an all-new experience. But the, it doesn't even say anything in here about they gave him the wrong order, they ran out of uh, Frosties, mm-hmm. which they have on occasion, and I've been upset. I mean, but never can, upset enough to throw an alligator in the window. But you get it. That if you were expecting like a Frosty and you live in Jupiter, Florida, and you like all day you've been thinking of a Frosty <laughs> and you've been out gator hunting, 
you you think <laughs> I want my frosty, and then all of a sudden, like, yeah, sorry, we're sorry, sir, we're out of frosties, but I could get you a lemonade, and you're like, hold on, and then you got to go get the gator out of the back of the truck. But there's nothing in here that indicates that there was anything wrong with the order or lacking on the menu. Yeah. Maybe you know what? I, I'm I'm actually doing a new uh, segment on for TV about how to deal with tricky personalities. Mm. People that are kind of quirky personalities. I would, I would love to see that applied to this alligator guy. Maybe this guy's got a quirky personality. He's like, mm. you know, it's, he just thinks it's funny to throw a live gator at someone. Yeah, not funny for the human and not really funny the, for the like alligator. You know the guy that has a spider and you know, brings his tarantula and he'll put it on people. Like maybe he's quirky like that. This guy, instead of a tarantula, <laughs> it's a gator. Quirky. That's an interesting yeah, phrase for it. Okay. okay. Uh, let me spin this wheel again. Can I recommend some WD-40 <laughs> for your... And it's story number one. Okay. Which you and I have been ill Yes. As of late. I, and we keep getting it. You it's act, weird. Well, you actually got me sick, yeah. Well, and, and sometimes I, it's been stomach issues. Sometimes it's throat issues. Well, listen to this. A man and woman in Florida, again, mm-hmm. were captured on surveillance video making off with $2,159 worth of various brands of antacid medications from huh. a grocery store. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, store employees called the police. Officers found the couple stole 61 boxes of antacids worth a total value of $2,159. They managed to conceal all the boxes of the drugs and made their way out without being caught. But their faces are clear as day on surveillance footage. Police are investigating what they ate or what they did that required 61 Boxes of antacids. I mean, because you can steal whatever you want to steal, and they went for the antacids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't go for the steaks. Yeah, they some, didn't. Some guys steal steak. Steak. They put it down their pants. Yeah. You know, some some would go for the whatever, like the 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 stuff to make other drugs, methamphetamine. Yeah. But no, these guys went for the antacids. Well, I mean, during the break, we'll have to play both our Gator Ball and our Will It Fit promos. Yeah. Two great sponsors. I, I don't think the Gator Ball is actually a sponsor. It's something that we're hoping catches on. No, it's an invention that I've created because I want more excitement in baseball. And I thought, hey, you want excitement? Hey, just like our guy from Jupiter, Florida, you want to add excitement to anything, even the drive through throw a Gator into it. Yeah. Just throw a Gator mm. into it. And then cool. one more spin of the wheel... Man. Hopefully yeah. we have a WD-40 commercial, like you said. Yes. Um, snail races. No, thanks. No? <laughs> yeah, so... So you have snail races that are being called off because it's too cold. Too cold in England. So yeah. you have to call off the race. No, yeah, it's so cold, they'll just... those they'll, Their little phlegmy bodies will get stuck. Can you imagine having to go to the snail and break the news to him, like... You're not going to be able to race today. Conditions aren't right. And ha- him having to hang his head in shame and slowly sludging oh, off. Yeah. You can see their two little eyes just droop. Yeah. That's what that trail of sludge is. That's disappointment. Oh, is that what that is? It's, it's palpable. Yeah. Oh, that's sad for them. Oh, well. You know what? You can't have everything. 
you little snails. You already get to carry your home everywhere you go. You can't win every race. Hey, uh, straight ahead, we're going to be talking about no more mean girls. Uh, talk about a little bit what's going on with our our daughters and our young women in our world. What's happening? What makes them, some of them so mean? What's going on with all the anger, the competition that we see when we hear about mean girls? Up next, we'll be talking to somebody that wrote a book on it, and uh, she's going to teach us how to be uh, mean no more. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, many have uh, talked about or called out or discussed this disturbing trend of mean girls and the kind of the mean girls-esque behavior. And a lot of times we associate that with, you know, teenage girls, high school girls, perhaps even middle school girls. But uh, according to our next guest, this this behavior is even now dripping down and and starting to impact our elementary school uh, kids and young uh, and, and, and children. We wanted to talk about it. And so we brought Katie Hurley on to she's here to help us understand what's really going on. Katie is a child and adolescent psychotherapist, a parenting expert and a writer. And she also is the author of the book, uh, No More Mean Girls. And she's here to help us walk through this. Katie, thank you for your time and helping us understand this today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Talk to me about, I mean, so we hear the term mean girls and then we see Hollywood makes a movie of it. And I, I, what my concern is, is, is it real? Is it really going on? And is it something other than just normal behavior? Well, you know, Hollywood obviously exaggerated what was going on, right. how we make things funny and relatable. And But they did us a favor in creating that movie all those years ago because it brought some of the behaviors that we always just sort of chalked up to, oh, that's what girls do, it's just drama. Right. And they sort of took those behaviors and brought them to the forefront because some of that stuff is really emotionally damaging to other girls. And the, But the problem we're having now is that it's really trickled down. And, you know, 10 years ago I started seeing it in, say, fourth and third graders, and now we're getting reports from kindergarten, first grade, in some cases even preschool parents are feeling like they're seeing this behavior. So, wow. you know, that, the question then becomes, are they all mean girls, or do they not have the social skills they yeah. need to be good friends? And I think they do not have the social skills they need to be good friends. What, what do you think is driving that? So, because there is the lack of skills and the ability, especially at younger ages, to know how to handle it. But then there's another, seems like another pressure that's actually maybe boiling the, and, and creating the meanness. Well, you know, a couple of factors are at play here, and one of them is that we've taken this idea that girls can do anything and be anyone and be whatever they want to be when they grow up, and we've turned it into this sort of hotbed of competition. So we've said, hey, the world is your oyster, but you have to be the best at everything. And when we condition girls to be the best at everything, the best at soccer, the best at softball, the best at getting good grades, you know, whatever it is, they start to sort of step on other girls because Mm. if there's a best, there has to be a worst. So they're all positioned to climb all over each other instead of working together for the common good. So one thing is that we're just, we're also just putting kids into competitive, highly competitive, highly structured environments very, very young. I mean, five, six-year-olds are playing club sports around the clock. It's not good for them. 
you know, they need time to play. They need time. Girls are not just being girls anymore. I mean, kids today get 50% less unstructured playtime than they did in 1974. And we have to look at that and say, you know, in 1974, kids were sort of running wild and just hanging out and dealing with conflict and learning how to make friends. And they had to be nice and kind or problem solved together or else all the fun stopped. So they learned how to deal with stuff. Well, now we have kids who are constantly under the watchful eye of adults, whether it's parents, coaches, teachers, art teachers, you know, they're always being told what to do, how to do it, and how to behave. And mm-hmm. so they don't get any organic skills. Yes, yeah, it seems like uh, we used to have to figure it out on yeah. our own. But, and we didn't have our parents overly structuring our entire existence. So so some of that is robbing them, I guess, of just the ability to, to deal and negotiate more effectively. Absolutely. And then we kind of, you know, the other thing is we're very... America right now and other countries as well, but we're very focused on success and achievement. And so we constantly praise kids for achievement, for good grades, for scoring goals. I mean, kids tell me all the time, girls tell me they get paid to score goals in soccer. They get paid if they get a four on their report card instead of a three. They get, we're constantly reinforcing this idea that you have to have tangible things to be successful. So we've created this generation of kids who are not resilient, for one thing, and they also are totally afraid of failure. And when they walk around the world like that, they start to take it out on other girls. Mm. So true, isn't it? Do you think social media is having an impact? I do. I do. I mean, you know, I... I have this sort of, you know, positive-negative association with social media. I actually really love technology, and I think that a lot of good can come out of it. You know, what we're seeing in Parkland, Florida, and just kids communicating together and coming together to deal with their grief and to, you know, work together for a common cause. Those are good things that can come out of social media. But the flip of it is that we have a lot of parents who are saying it's no big deal and allowing very young kids to engage on social media. So we have 9- and 10-year-olds running around with cell phones in their pockets, but also Instagram and Snapchat on those cell phones. And kids' brains are really not, you know, their frontal lobes are not fully developed, and they're really not equipped to handle the sort of the impulse control that they need in these situations. You know, they don't stop and think about how one comment might destroy the feelings of another person or about how leaving somebody out of a group picture might really devastate that other girl. So Mm. They're not getting the information they need. They're not, parents aren't really teaching them how to use social media appropriately, but they're also giving it to them way too young. Yeah, no, it's so true. And um, I mean, I think we just think it's just a tool, right? But they're cognitively, behaviorally, there's the children have to develop in certain phases and stages. And you throw a device like a phone in there and social media and you know, the Internet and everything, access to the world at a young age, boy, you may be totally creating problems. Absolutely. And we also, you know, we also have to check ourselves in the mirror and think about how we model things. I mean, we all joke about binge-watching shows on Netflix, but I have to tell you when that 13 Reasons Why came, you know, dropped on Netflix a year ago or whatever it was, tons of girls, very young girls, binge watch that show on the school bus on their phones. Oh, wow. To and from school in just a matter of days. So we, you know, we sort of, we don't necessarily model healthy habits and it's hard. You know, I, I, I constantly feel like I'm connected because of my work and interviews and different things I need to do. We have to stop and say, to what end do we need to be constantly connected and constantly 
offering our opinions on social media and constantly checking to see what other opinions are out there. You know, what does it do for us and how can we model a healthier relationship with mm. our girls so that so they are getting the good without all the bad? Uh, we're speaking with Katie Hurley, who is an LCSW and uh, also an author of a couple of books. One book is that we're discussing today is No More Mean Girls, The Secret to Raising Strong, Confident, and Compassionate Girls. And Katie's teaching us that, uh, boy, there's a lot of factors at play here, the, the hotbed of co- competition that we're throwing our children into and uh, kind of maybe the overstructuring of their lives, the over maybe monitoring and and managing and scheduling of their lives. Um, they, it sounds like what they need, some of what they need is just more free time and more time to just be a girl. Yes, absolutely. They need to, we, we have to let go of our need to check off all the right boxes. And it's hard, you know, as a parent, you feel like everybody's doing all these things. Am I depriving my child of something if I don't do it? You know, is it, are they not going to be a good soccer player if they take one season off? I mean, we get all these ideas in our head because there's a ton of pressure on parents today that didn't used to exist. Not that parenting used to be easier. It was just different. And there's a lot of peer pressure among adults right now, and there's a lot of peer pressure among kids. But really, truly, what they need and what they benefit from is just time to be kids, you know, time to just make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and just play and have fun and figure out who they are and who they want to be mm. instead of us telling them, if you do all these things, you'll become a great person. Oh, it, uh, so all of this pressure, is this, is this also then contributing to anxiety and depression and the meanness? Absolutely. I mean, what we're seeing among our high schoolers right now is record, record numbers of anxiety and depression and just more generalized stress that maybe isn't diagnosable. I mean, our high schoolers right now are falling apart under the pressure, and our little kids are also feeling the same thing. I was doing an assembly at a school in New Jersey a few weeks ago, and I was talking to kids about things that hurt your heart, you know, things that people say, and maybe they don't mean to hurt you, but it does hurt. And we went around the room and a little girl raised her hand and she said, Miss Katie, you have to help me. What do I do if my parents, my grownups are always yelling at me from the sideline and telling me every single thing I'm doing wrong? And Mm. this was a fifth grade girl who was in a front row of a hundred kids raising her hand to say, how do I stop my grownups from making me feel bad when I'm playing a sport? Uh, so it's, you know, that's stuff we, we all get caught up in the rat race. You know, we all get caught up in, I don't know, maybe some, maybe we think that we're more successful if our kids are more successful, or maybe we just want them to be successful so they don't have to feel sad. Well, you know, kids feel sad sometimes. Kids feel angry. Kids feel hurt. This is normal. You know, emotions are good. Emotions are normal. We have to get back to a place where we let kids just go through things, because if we do that, they do become more resilient. What? What can we, what else can we be doing that as families, parents, to organize our lives in a way that maybe we can diminish some of the stress, the anxiety, um, and actually teach our children about being kind and loving? Well, I always say, you know, one just easy, important step we can all take is to just really take a good, hard look at our schedules. And even us as parents, I mean, some people volunteer until they practically drop, you know, at schools and PTAs and things. And volunteering is great and offering to help is wonderful. But if it's at a detriment to your own mental health or to your own situation, then it's not so good, you know. So one thing I say is just take a look at your calendar from afar, you know, stand back and look at it and say, 
where, what's going on here and what can we change so that we have more time together as a family, so that we have more time to learn how to decompress and just take care of ourselves. Um, because self-care is super important and we model it for our kids. So if we're not ever doing it, then they don't learn how to do it. And we all sort of get into this cycle of running on stress. So, I mean, that's one thing we can do. And then another thing is just really thinking more about gratitude. We do this thing where we focus on gratitude in November because of Thanksgiving. But, you know, gratitude should be something that we practice every day of our lives. And it's easy to do, you know, set up a gratitude jar in your kitchen where you just write each other little notes all week. I'm grateful for Daddy because he, you know, got me to school on time. I'm grateful to my brother because he helped me with my math homework, whatever, just little notes all week long and then read them aloud at Sunday dinner or Sunday breakfast or whenever you have a, a family meal together where you're all sitting around and hanging out. And, you know, you see when families get into the habit of doing that, you start to see the kids' faces light up, the parents' faces light up. It feels really good when we take the time to think about how others help us and support us and are there for us. And when we do that as families, gratitude just becomes part of our practice and empathy just becomes part of the blueprint of who we are. And then kids go out into the world and they do it out there. It transitions. Mm. What, what, help us understand why, why is the meanness so focused on girls? Not well, boys. you know, one thing we do is we, you know, we socialize boys differently than we socialize girls. And people talk about this all the time, but nothing really changes. And that's part of the problem. So boys are consistently socialized to use their voices, get in the game, raise your hand, you know, show everybody what you know. And they do it. You know, if you walk into a classroom, you see boys are jumping out of their seats to answer questions that they might not even know the answer to. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're just they want to have their voices heard. Girls are consistently socialized to, you know, don't be bossy, um, be kind, be polite, be quiet. And so we teach them differently. And so they kind of come in at a deficit. I mean, girls have consistently outperformed boys in the classroom academically since the 1940s. Wow. It's not news. Yeah. They always outperform them, but boys out-talk them. Boys are always answering questions and engaging where girls are sitting, waiting until they know they have exactly the right answer. So one thing we really have to do, we've done a disservice to our girls in that we've made them feel like they don't have voices. Well, we really need to work on assertiveness skills with girls early. I mean, out of the gate, we need to teach them how to speak up. We need to teach them that no is not a bad word. It's a useful word. Um, We need to teach them when to use it and how to use it and how to raise their voices as a collective group and how to work together. And, you know, these are things that girls don't necessarily get. These are lessons they don't necessarily get. So, And this is why sports can be good for girls because it is a healthy outlet. They learn to work together as a group. Um, you know, they get some exercise. And so when done correctly and when it's not such a hotbed of competition, they can learn a lot from each other and they do become more confident. But we just have to be careful about how we present these things to girls at young ages. Absolutely. Well, it's such, I think, a powerful topic and discussion. And we appreciate your willingness to be here uh, to talk to us about it. Katie Hurley's your name. The book, you're not going to want to miss it, folks. I mean, when you think about it, no more mean girls. How would that be for our, our children and our youth? The secret to raising strong, confident, compassionate girls. It's, it's about finding a healthier way to voice, a healthier way to compete, to engage with one another. And in a way, parents, it sounds like we need to get out of the way so that uh, our children can develop and grow maybe more normally, more health in a more healthy way. 
We'll continue the journey a little Coach's Corner up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Man, unbelievable. Um, think of it. Just the, the crazy dynamics that happen as we start to pick up trends in our lives, like this idea of getting our children into competitive leagues, and that creates more competition. Then all of a sudden we have younger and younger girls competing at you know very high levels of competition. And then we hear more and more stories about mean girls and uh, this competitive nature. And so it's, and then you can hear people saying, oh, you're just trying to hold the women back. But then you hear about the hashtag Me Too moment, right? And we've got to figure out a way to create a voice and, and to give our kids um, some skills, some tools to to make it through this this world we live in. We also have to be careful – about the little changes we make. I mean, a little change over a long period of time goes a very, very long way. And so, and because we we don't see an immediate cause effect because we institute a change like putting them in competitive soccer, we may not, and, you know, overscheduling them and then, you know, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Over time, we then start to realize we have this epidemic of anxious children we have this epidemic of supposedly mean girls or aggressive boys that, uh, you know, are, are doing, you know, hurtful and harmful things. So a few little tools, but I think in the end would help boys just as well. But I wrote uh, these ideas down for um, more for young girls and, and just our children, our daughters that we're raising. One might be a really important thing that we could all do to, to be a, a more effective parent is share our vision of who our daughter really is. And it might be valuable that we share with them this idea of the, of who their identity is. Remember, they're going to pick up their identity from someone, and it might be really important, I think, that it comes from you, mom and dad. So share with them that, that their value and their potential uh, is, is of infinite worth and that it's not going to change, and it's not based on what they do. It already exists in them. Share the fact that their potential it really is unchangeable and that your love for them is unchangeable. Another tool is make your example speak louder than your words. Don't just tell them to do stuff. Model it. Uh, moms, you need to model what what a healthy person with a healthy voice, how that works. Uh, model what hard work looks like. Model uh, what education and reading and and, you know, true spiritual growth and development looks like. Get out there as parents and model it for your kids instead of just hoping that you can talk them into doing what needs to be done. Another word, another thing we can do is affirm what they're doing well every chance that you can. Affirm it. When you see that they're doing something great, talk about it. Bring it up. Focus more on the positive with them than the negative. So many times our kids hear so many negative things from us about them that they start to take in that as as kind of more of their identity. But if we could overwhelm them with, you did it again, that was so great, you really looked good at this, you made this happen, excellent job on your homework, way to work so hard. Remember, too, to focus all of that, not just on traits, but on true uh, character strengths. 
So when you see them working hard would be a better thing to focus on than looking good, right? Or um, instead of just being super athletic, which is something they didn't necessarily earn, they just were born with, focus instead on their work ethic, on their dedication, on their caring about others and their helping and serving the other people on the team. That will go a long way. Another rule that I think all of us could do is just respect the thoughts and the ideas of our children more. Actually listen to what they're saying more. Pay attention to what they're saying. Be influenced by what they're saying. If your children have, you know, and promote a really an, an idea, listen to the idea. And if if we're talking about where we're going to dinner, hey, let them choose. Uh, I had some clients in my office just the other day, and we were talking about at some point you've got to put your child in the driver's seat and let them drive their own life. And especially with strong kids that are constantly demanding to drive their own life, let's start letting them do it. You don't want to let them – you don't want to abandon them, but you can start letting them make little decisions right now in their life and it will go a long way for many. Also tell and reinforce the fact that you love your child no matter what. There's nothing they're going to do that would make you love them less. And if you could, too, I'm a big believer, and I know it's hard, and I know sometimes it's just conditional based on how you were raised, but verbalize that love more. Share it more. Say, I love you more. Look them in the eye and say, I love you more, and validate the fact that the love is going to be here no matter what. Behaviors come and go, and we may not always be pleased with everything that happens, but I'll love you no matter what. Once they know that they're loved, then they're probably going to feel safer to come back and to make changes. Also, there is a point to parents where you're going to have to quit getting your identity from your children. And the sooner you learn that, the better off for everybody, really, I think, in the end, because it can't just be about you gaining more and more psychic income off of your kids going you know, winning that game, becoming the cheerleader, being in the dance team. At some point, it's got to be theirs. It's got to be their win. So defer all of that high, all of that light, all of the accolades to them. It's theirs. Because the sooner you put the onus back on them that this is their victory, then two, it will also be in a couple of weeks their defeat right? When they struggle and they don't always have the successes. So the more that they can feel both sides of that, the more they understand how there is a give and take in life. Anyway, basic stuff, right? Basic, but it's not always, uh, it's common sense, not always commonly practiced. And that's what our goal on the show is, is to do whatever we can to help you make practice of some of these more basic principles of life. We will continue the journey. More empty news straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back. And now more headlines with Jeff Simpson. What's up, Jeff? Do you really want to know? Yes. Oh, boy. He's torturing. Looks like. He's torturing a <laughs> gaggle of geese. Looks like we're going with uh, a Florida man. <laughs> okay. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Googled how to rob a bank. 
before robbing a bank. Now, we've seen this before, but it's interesting. Uh, There's one thing I want to point out in this. So before robbing a bank Thursday morning, a Florida man prepped for the heist by searching Google for instructions on how to rob a bank. People have done that before, right? I mean, that happens. Cops charged that uh, William Johnson, who's 26, made off with about $2,000 from a credit union in Largo, Florida. According to a criminal complaint, Johnson handed a teller an envelope with the words, give me money, no bait, I have a gun, written on it. Within minutes of the crime, a subject matching the description of the robber entered a nearby supermarket and purchased several lottery tickets, food, and a beverage. By late afternoon, cops had received multiple phone calls identifying Johnson as the bank robber. Uh, the sources had been seen had been uh, bank surveillance photos that police had posted to Facebook. He was already planning another heist because he had already spent all of the money on rent and <laughs> the food and the lottery tickets. Now listen to this. This is the part that I'm thinking you can help us out okay. with as a relationship coach. Johnson's mother identified him as the man oh, seen in the bank photos. What a great mom. So That's great. this 26-year-old's out there thinking, gee, thanks, mom. No, yeah. That's what moms are I was, for. I was going to get you a, a great Mother's Day gift, <laughs> even though it's a few months away, and you turned me into the cops. Yeah. That's you're not getting a Christmas gift now. Isn't that a great thing? She cares enough about him to change his life. Now the question is: Would you, as a parent, do that, or would you protect your child? I think a lot of us protect our kids. Yeah. So you think a lot of people would not do what this mother did? Yeah. I I would walk Mike if Mike. I don't. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. But if I knew my kids broke a window at the school, we'd go to the school. Right. But I mean, let's. We have no no description of what state their relationship is no. in. But even if you have a, a wonderful relationship with your child you can't, and they did something like we this, can't do that. would you make him face the yeah, consequences? I would. I would. And as a mother, you just grab his ear and you walk him down to the police station. And it could be one of those things where it's not until many, many years later that this child appreciates what their mom did. If ever. And he may never. But yeah. somebody has got to, you know, somebody's got to stop the pattern. Crazy, crazy story. But uh, boy, good parenting example for all of us. We will continue learning together, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. A gaggle of gentlemen gathered together for your benefit. <laughs> Were we turkeys? Yes. Uh, no, I thought it was more manly geese. when it was gang. Yeah. Or conglomerate crew. Cartel. Cartel. Yeah, I like gaggle today. I don't know what it is. It's because Jeff used a sounder or some sound effect last hour that sounded like a gaggle of geese being tortured. It does. It actually sounds like a pencil sharpener. In my third grade class. It was supposed to be the wheel of news, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's supposedly out looking for some oil to oil it hmm. before we'll use that again. Hey, got a lot Can to you get talk about today. just by spinning it? Oh, yeah, you got to be careful. If you get cut or anything, wow. yeah, you could really create a bad infection. Wow. Uh, we'll be talking about putting together a family charter. 
Like in businesses, they have they put together a charter, which is basically their objectives, their their goals as a organization. So every family should have one, and it might be a really interesting thing that we could. We have a one line phrase that I won't share, which is our mission as a family. But um, it'd be fun to have the charter where it's all broken down into pieces for your family's enjoyment. Hmm. Terry's looking at me like that's a lot of work. Our, ours just says like, don't do stupid stuff. And oh, kind of okay. left it at that. Wow, they've got a lot of other op- options then. <laughs> well, no, it's easy. Like, if there's a problem, you go, "Was that stupid?" Yes. Okay, knock it off. Okay. Yeah. No. Is that a bad I idea. Mean, I mean, no. It's. Not, I mean, is the one line "stupid is as stupid does"? No? Ah, you, you, huh? see, you guys are kind of <laughs> leading with more of the negative. <laughs> well, I mean, you, that... you, you could just actually lead with the positive, like be amazing, be smarter. Yeah. Is it one of those? Still is it one negative. of those like be calm or uh, no. what? Are, what are those shirts that say like be I'm, calm and I'm chive stupid. on or something? Carry on, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like that. Okay. It's like, well. but like, what? What do you as a family want to make sure we all live? Like the the guest that we're going to be talking with, we want to be happy. Was what his family come up came up with? We want time hmm. alone. We want to be ourselves. Hmm. We want to be heard. We want to be respected. No, he has older kids, I believe. Yeah. This has to deal with like teenagers. Well, but your kids will eventually be teenagers. But at the moment, yeah, you teach them basic lessons. Yeah, but, at this but point. interesting. Every one of those things are things you want with your kids, right? Like well, you want yeah. to be happy. Yeah, and I and, want to be alone. And you want to be alone. <laughs> and you want to be heard. And you want to be respected. And you want to be safe. Right. Well, so does your kid. Like, hey, don't hit me with a noodle, Dad. Well, he actually brings the noodle to me and says, hey, Dad. Hit me, Dad. Let's fight. <laughs> Aren't kids great? They just bring you the the implement of destruction. Of destruction. It's great. Yeah. You and just then, have to make sure you don't hit the you know the vase or the flowers or right. whatever decorations around the house. It's, it's fine. It's all good. Hey, uh, we, this morning we were talking about um, how the kids are going back to school in Florida for – I mean, which has got to be a really traumatic – Time there, you, you got to go back onto the campus where the shooting took place. Um, we also, I brought up the fact that out of twenty-seven of the biggest mass shootings in the last uh, few years, twenty-six of the twenty-seven were fatherless boys. Mm-hmm. And so there's there is some more complexity to this whole gun violence thing. And um, and maybe that's why we can't just throw it on guns. We can't just throw it on legislators. We can't just blame the police. We can't just blame the FBI. We can't just blame parents. But dads need to be a bigger part of their kids' lives. Schools, we can't just blame schools. So complex issues demand complex solutions. And uh, one of the things as we're talking about family charters today, it might be some awesome discussions that you should be having with your kids um, if if you are going to get involved and be uh, you know be attentive to your family, so we we bring you these things so that you can make your life a little bit better today. Also, we're going to be talking with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation and a little uh, Ziggy Ansa update. A BYU football player that only played, I think, I think when he came to BYU was when he first played football. Yes, he came here as a track star, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know. He then made it on the football team because he was such an incredible athlete. And then he happens to go pro. And now is he with the Detroit Lions still? He is. He's now 
going to be targeted as a uh, what do they call him a franchise player, which means the guy's going to be making the, seventeen million a year. He'll be possibly. the highest paid player at his position in the league. Unbelievable! And five years ago, I don't think he knew how to play. Five years ago, he didn't know football. That is a cool story. So we'll be talking about that. But uh, first, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Senator Bob Corker. He was a senator. Then he decided he wasn't going to run again. Well, apparently he's sticking with his decision to retire. boy. So he was going to retire. Then he decided not to, to unretire. Well, then what happened retiring. really was they realized they may not be able to get the person or a person they need to run for him. Right. And so they're begging him to stay, and now he's like, no, I'm going for real. So he was corked, then he was uncorked, now he's <laughs> uncorked again? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he's always believed and served as though he were only going to be in the Senate for two terms, his spokesperson says, and he is willing to listen to folks, but really believes the decision he made in September was the right one, and he is going to leave the Senate at the end of the That's year. That's pretty cool. Good for him. Goodbye, Corker. I mean, who dares? I mean, he's not getting sucked into the politics and the power of it all. Remember, he was embroiled in the nasty feud with President Trump. Right. That might be part of it, too. Yeah. <laughs> so he's back. He goes, what he would tell you is that serving in the Senate has been his privilege of his lifetime. And when people approach you and ask you to reconsider, you certainly do reconsider. Yeah. But he's decided to stick with his original yeah, thought. And I've decided not to. West Virginia Governor Jim Justice announced on Tuesday that a uh, four-day t- teacher strike in the state would come to an end after a deal was reached to give teachers a 5% pay raise. Teachers were protesting at the state capitol. While schools were closed, the strike also resulted in a 3% pay raise for all other state employees. Schools will reopen on Thursday after a cooling-off period on Wednesday. And teachers, uh, the teachers group wrote on Facebook. So it went from the governor sitting there saying, we can't do much here. This is all we got for like a 2% raise to a 5% raise. And then all state employees get a 3% raise. Wow. So apparently they had money somewhere. Yeah. There's always money in the banana stand. Or did they steal from the future? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, the Supreme Court ruled Tuesday that immigrants, even ones residing in the U.S. lawfully, may be detained indefinitely for committing even minor crimes. The 5-3 to three ruling stipulates that immigrants do not have a right to periodic bond hearings, NPR reports, meaning that they can be denied the opportunity to post bail and leave jail. The case Jennings versus Rodriguez concerns immigrants with permanent legal status as well as asylum seekers who turn themselves into authorities at the border. In its decision, the court reversed a previous ruling by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Circuit Court of Appeals, claiming that the appellate court had erroneously concluded that periodic bond hearings are required by law. Whoa. Justin Stephen Breyer read... James Bond. uh, Justice Stephen Breyer read part of his dissent from the bench, which is a rare move that indicates just how passionately he disagrees with the majority opinion. Wow. Usually they just submit the paperwork and people read it later, but he read his from the bench because he just really disagreed with the court on this one. Unbelievable. Okay. They're getting feisty. Feisty up there. They're... SCOTUS. Their judges' robes are getting all wrinkled because they're feisty. A major, a majority of Americans are now concerned that the government won't do enough to regulate how U.S. technology companies operate, according to an Axios Survey Monkey poll. Always love the Survey Monkey yeah. poll. Across- I, well, I feel bad for that monkey. He's working his little mm. monkey. Hands. He's got the little visor on. Off, He's got a yeah. pencil. Yeah. Across the board, concern about government inaction is up significantly. Fifteen points in the past three months. Forty-five percent of Republicans who are usually skeptical. 
skeptical about government regulation share the concern that the government won't do enough. Independents show the biggest shift with an increase of 20 points, more than 8 in 10, including big majorities across party lines. Blame the technology companies for not doing more to safeguard their platforms against election interference. Huh. So they're not looking at the government. They're looking at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, these groups that didn't do enough to stop yeah. this stuff. That's a huge shift in the public perception of Silicon Valley over a short period of time. Um, really concerned with the Russian meddling in the election. It reflects a growing anxiety about fake news and the potentially addictive nature of some of the tech company's products. Former President Obama said last week at a sports analytics conference that companies like Google and Facebook need to have a conversation about their business model and recognize that they are a public good as well as a commercial enterprise. Huh. They are a public good as well as a commercial enterprise. Yeah. They just look at themselves as a business and yeah, don't no. necessarily worry about the social impact. you got to worry about the rest of us now. That's coming out now. Finally, it seems uh, the Tooth Fairy didn't make much, much notice of the improving economy last year. An annual survey has found that the average amount of money paid out per tooth by the Tooth Fairy has yeah. dropped from $4.66 to $4.13. A decrease of 11 cents. Did you ever get more than a dollar for your teeth? No. No. I got a quarter. Yeah. And a yeah, I got ice pack. I got coins. I got coins. So yeah, it was probably a quarter, maybe fifty cents. Yeah. What but, is with four dollars? Is the average? Is that the average? You say average? Oh my goodness! My tooth fairy many times um, has given five dollars, <throat> even ten dollars, I believe, for a tooth and a future tooth. Oh wow! Because apparently our tooth fairy couldn't make change. <laughs> so we had. That's all we had. Yeah, the, so, his yeah. wallet's like, oh, I forgot the the ones. You got to bring the yeah. ones, right? Yep. So it goes on. It says the survey, the original Tooth Fairy poll conducted by Delta Dental in mid December 2017, interviewed 1,007 parents of six to 12 year olds about their Tooth Fairy spending habits. The survey has been conducted annually since 1998. Also breaks down average payouts by location. Ch- children in western states earn the most from the tooth fairy, with the average child receiving four dollars eighty-five cents a tooth. Wow! While children in the Midwest receive three forty-four a tooth, the lowest average amount. Delta Dental also compiles data on the tooth fairy's global spending. British children receive the equivalent of four dollars and thirteen cents. Really. And while Canadian children are gifted roughly five twenty-five a tooth, what is the deal here's, with Canada? Here's the thing: these kids would be pleased as punch with one dollar. Just give them one dollar; they'll think that they hit the jackpot. Well, not in Canada. According <sighs> to the poll, Japanese children receive roughly seventy dollars. What for a tooth? Well, their teeth are very clean. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, actually, sheesh. we've talked about this. I, I explained to my son, he, we go to the store, he likes Hot Wheels. He sees one of them, he goes, Dad, I want one of those. And they're like, it's like $1.25. And I go, do you know how much that is? That's like one tooth, but you have to actually have two tooths. So it's, it, that's worth two teeth. Because we there... give them about a dollar a tooth. Hold and... it. So your kid's like, all right, take them, Dad. Or he wants this other, take my teeth. he wants this stuffed animal or something. It's like four bucks. I go, that's four teeth. And he's like. I go, I, we can just go, they have, I, let's go over to the next aisle, there's some pliers, I can just start taking them out now, Holy and then, cow, and he's child? like, no. <laughs> Is the Tooth Fairy Terrifying. really some wealthy dentist who's just collecting teeth to, you know, create yeah, dentures or something? Some creepy, yeah, tooth collector. Um, I, 
here's the deal, though. Some of those countries can pay more because they don't necessarily put their kids in braces. Oh, wow. Hmm. Right? So if you're not going to – if you don't have to factor in orthodontia, then, um, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks right now. <laughs> but if I have to pay for spacers, if I have to pay three grand for my kid to straighten those teeth down the road – I can't afford as much. You got to cut back on the front end. Not because... me, but the tooth fairy can't afford to give as much because right. we got to pay orthodontists on the back end. I get that. Yeah. So wow. that's why it might be better to grow up in a country where orthodontia is not as popular. Maybe Many we, would joke about England being. Maybe that we way. need a tooth fairy insurance program. You know what? You I'm can sh- pay into it, and then you get that. You can you know dip back into it yeah. later when you need dentures. This that's what's funny is not we've dentures, been meeting with. We have been meeting with a sponsor that will eventually be sponsoring the show. That is a tooth fairy insurance policy Great. Mm. to insure your children's teeth to pay for uh, the tooth fairy. Now, be careful. We talked about earlier in the week, if you use a Hotmail account, they may work against you and they'll yeah. charge you higher rates versus if you have a Gmail yeah. account. I think that I think you pay $15 a year and the tooth fairy will cover all of the teeth in your family. Oh, wow. It's a nice policy. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just a father. Um, okay, this was an interesting thing because my daughter is having twins, a girl and a boy, and she has just, she's struggling to decide what to name the children. I mean, I thought it was obvious. Matt mm. for the boy. And Matwina? And Madison. Oh. Which would be spelled Matt, M-A-T-T, dash, hyphen, of course. Mm. Um <laughs> Uh, I, capital I, yeah. dash, S-O-N, Mad Eye Son. Anyway, wow. why I bring this up is because uh, in the these college players, um, apparently they've, they've, Terry's been doing a study. So I got on uh, Reddit and they have a college football yeah. channel that I follow because it's, it's kind of fun to see people talk and fight during football games. And uh, in the off season, they're bored, so they come up with different things, and they they pulled all their users to come up with the most unique names in college football at each position. That's cool. It really is. And so, um, and these are just because you guys are going to probably be having more and more and more kids. I'm done having children, but you two, of course, will be having a lot more. Um, here's some more names for you. Like, by the way, the best the, the best name at quarterback is um, Max Bortenschlager. 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 That's a great mm. quarterback name, right? It's a great name, yeah. Um, by the way, running back, Squally Canada from BYU. Right. Uh, wide receiver, Pooh Strickland. Pooh Strickland. You know he got beat up. There's, there's Albert Pujols in uh, in baseball on the Angels. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. Uh, tight end, C.J. French Love. Yeah, all mm-hmm. these names sound fake. Uh, offensive tackle, Coy Cronk. Coy Cronk. Cronk him, Coy! Cronk him. <laughs> um, how about uh, this is a good one? Offensive tackle Biruz Yakubi. Huh, that's mm. a great name. Yeah. How about Jet Toner? Jet Toner, Stanford kicker. <laughs> He's a kicker. Jet Toner. <laughs> uh, defensive tackle Hercules Mataafa. Hercules. Hercules. Really? Yeah. This is my favorite. If you're a defensive lineman, what would you want your name to be? What's the perfect name for a defensive lineman? Brick Tubman. Ooh, that's a good one. No, uh, D-Liner. 
D-Lang. <laughs> it really is his name. And so then, you name your kid that. How do you know if he's going to grow to be of any size? Well, but when the kid comes out at 14 pounds. Okay. Well, not necessarily. 99th percentile. You're like, that chubby little kid's going to be a liner. And your last name's already liner. So he's going to be on the line. So let's call him D, D liner. All right. But his hmm. name's probably like DeAndre Liner. Right. Let's call him D. D. Uh, how about this one? Because there's always seems to be one of these in every high school or college. Greg Gooch. Yeah, there's always a Gooch. There's always a Gooch. Gooch. That's a great name. That is a great name. Back in the day, there was the show uh, Different Strokes. The bully on the playground was known as the Gooch. The Gooch. I remember Whoa. That. Those were the days. How about this one? Uh, I guess a uh, cornerback. Is that a CB cornerback? Um, Christian Slaughter. Christian Slaughter. Mm. <laughs> Seems really. So if your last name is Slaughter. Yeah. There were a lot of people that. Do you put Christian as the name? I mean, there was the Crusades. I yeah, know, but like, yeah, I really want to go for Christian Slaughter. You mean Christian Slater? No, it's Christian Slaughter. <laughs> it's kind of violent. Um, how about Quantrez Knight? Quantrez Knight. That would be a great name for your next boy, don't you think, Jeff? Or a romance novel. Ah. Quantrez Knight. On a Quantrez Knight in the Serengeti. Wow. <laughs> how about Mac Loudermilk? Louder milk? What is that? Okay, by the way, just guess the position. Who who would be called, and so, you know, Al Michaels up to mm-hmm. whatever, I can't give away the position. Max Louder Milk is now. How do you spell Louder Milk? Louder, like. Oh. Louder yeah. Milk. That's actually the name of a TV show, too. Is it really? Louder Milk. What Linebacker? position would you, nope. No? Punter. The water boy? Oh. Louder <laughs> Is the Louder Milk. Punter? Where's Loudermilk? Did Loudermilk miss that? Wow. What yeah. name would you give the water boy? Bruce. Bruce. Gus. He just gets the first name. He doesn't get Gus. the last name. Just Gus. Gus. Gus Gatorade. Or Gatorade. And that's not even his name. That's just a demand. Gus Gatorade. <laughs> now. Oh, names. These parents setting their kids up, I guess, for success cool stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. We'll be learning about a family charter. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, our next guest, uh, Jeffrey Reddick, is joining us. He's a freelance writer and produced a family charter that changed his family dynamic. And he's here to talk with us about the lessons he learned um, from this experiment, which was basically a business idea that he brought to his family and uh, the impact that it had for, for him. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Matt. I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation. This is, to me, it's such a fascinating idea. You you basically took uh, a charter. Maybe explain to us where you got the idea of a charter and um, and then how you decided to incorporate it into the family. Sure. Um, this is uh, sort of one of those cases of life giving you lemonade <laughs> uh, instead of a lemon. Um, we've got two kids. Our, our son just turned five and our daughter's ten, and... We were kind of realizing the discipline uh, approaches that we had were not working so well anymore. Uh, you know, when the kids are younger, you can 
just kind of send them to timeout because everything's reactive. You know, don't cut the dog's hair. You know, <laughs> right. go to timeout. Um, but as they get older, it gets a little bit more complicated. And we were trying to figure out, well, what do we, you know, what's our next step? What do we do next with this? And it was a confluence of events uh, from outside the house. Um, what first happened was our daughter's teacher uh, started emailing the class parents that she was working on a, a charter for the, the kids in the class. Um, and I was curious about that. I, I hadn't really heard about it. And so I you know, started looking online at stuff. And around that same time, my wife, who works in HR, um, you know, talked to me and, and said, you know, we're doing a similar thing in the office just hmm. so that we can relate to each other better. And I thought, well, it feels like somebody's trying to tell me something here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and and so that's that's how we started. Um, it's, it really is. It's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, a, kind of this convergence of ideas from your kids school room from your wife's work and and then all of a yeah. sudden you're thinking hey this this might and by the way in the need right i mean when all of a sudden every other way you've tried to get everyone on the same page and discipline it's not working you're almost willing to try anything right and and part of why we were willing to give it a try is uh when i when i reflected on it i thought okay well you know the, the teacher spends seven and a half hours a day with these kids um, you know, my wife's at work for, you know, nine or 10 hours a day sometimes. Um, and, and on weekdays anyway, we're with the kids, you know, maybe an hour in the morning if they wake up on time, yeah. and that's just trying to get them out the door. And then at night, you know, it's anywhere from two to three hours, depending on when everybody's at home. So I thought, you know, if, if people are, are trying this approach, um, to to relate to the people that they're with the bulk of their day on on a on a better basis, you know maybe maybe we can kind of muddle through here as well. Yeah, no, totally. Tell me, um, so how did how did the process work? How did you get everyone involved, and and did you, and how, how did how did you go about creating the charter? Well, the it, it was. Um, the first thing we had to do was, was kind of explain it a little bit to our son. Um, he just turned five, so he's he's maybe on the extreme low end of being able to meaningfully participate in this process. Yeah, um, you know he can't read most of the words that are in the charter. Um, you know, it might right. say that we never we never give him ice cream anymore for all he knows. <laughs> you know, uh, but. You know, like I said, my, my daughter had been through the process in her classroom. My wife had been through the process. They kind of explained to me, um, you know, the, the initial hashing out uh, experience. And then we all sat around the, the dinner table and just talked about, well, what do we want to feel like in this family? You know, what, what are the uh, feelings that we want to have as we interact with each other? Um, and you end up with, you know, sort of a word salad there, or, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, everybody kind of stepping on each other to, to talk and make sure they get their thoughts out, uh, and, and are heard. Um, but then it, it sort of coalesces, you know, you see 
similar themes over and over and over again. Um, my daughter especially wanted to make sure that uh, she was not being unfairly targeted by her parents. Yeah. Uh, you know, because when, when we hear the two of them squabble, uh, because she's older, we expect a, a little bit more of her that she's able to rein herself in and not get drawn into an argument with a five-year-old. Yeah, know? right. Uh, so she wanted to make sure that uh, the, the big thing for her was, you need to hear both sides of the story, Dad, before... <laughs> You start in, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Because she, part of, but that's what so she'd want, of, right? A teenage girl? Is she a teenager yet? She's ten. Ten. So she's, yeah. She's she's yeah. looking at it. You know, it's she's, interesting. She's standing on the cliff and yeah. she's looking out there. Uh, and, and, and yeah, she she uh, you know her experiences with her friends. That's a lot of what we hear if if there's disagreements. Well, I I was trying to explain what I meant and she just wouldn't listen. Mm. You know. Uh, so yeah, that is a big theme in her life right now. So what? What? Out of the process, then I guess you narrow down all of the you know disparate ideas, but, but they, like you said, they kind of cling together. Some of the ideas have certain themes, and then I guess you just slowly forge them into a language that we all agree on. Yeah. So we we ended up with now. This is just our first draft, and and that's the other advantage of this is it's it can be changed. Yeah. Um, you know, as people get older, if, you know, um, if, if there's uh, patterns of behavior that we see emerge um, that we need to address in this, we can. Um, so the, the five big themes uh, that we started with were um, we want to feel happy, uh, we want to feel heard, uh, we want to feel respected, we want to feel safe emotionally and physically, and we want to feel loved. Hmm. Um, and so from those big themes, then we've got a bunch of bullet points about, well, how do you show, you know, how do you make sure that people feel happy? Yeah. Um, and that includes things like, don't show mean faces. Uh, that, that came from our son. Huh. Um, uh, you know, make sure that people are included in if we're all going to sit down and play charades at night before bedtime uh, and our daughter's off in her room alone reading, she wants to make sure that we go and find her and see if she wants to participate and not just assume, oh, she's, she's being alone right now. Um, so that, that's how it kind of worked for us is to have the, the big themes and then bullet out specific ideas. How, how did you um, – because it's interesting. They're so very general but very principled-oriented that you, you can see that literally hundreds of ideas could be an offshoot of wanting to feel happy or wanting to be heard. And so you don't need to almost manage the minutia. You just need to know our rules. Have you seen it change the behavior? Have you seen it – is it a tool you can use now to better inform – how we discipline and what we're, what we're doing with each other. I think so. And, and the point you just made it, it is um, outside of the minutiae. You know, you, you've got these, these ideas and you can refer back to that. So, um, you know, if, if the kids squabble or if my wife and I have a disagreement, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that never happens in your house. No way. Uh, um, you can refer back to that. And 
you know, the language can be a little awkward at first. It can feel a little clunky, like uh, we're, uh, you know, on a TV show about how to be therapists or something. <laughs> right. Um, but you, you try not to get lost in the weeds of that and, and be natural about it. But, you know, wh- what we've noticed is there is more of a discussion about, I don't really feel happy right now uh, because of, of this thing that's going on. So can we talk about what you're feeling and what I'm feeling? Um, because, you know, part, part of what um, we realized as we started to, to write out the, the specific points, in, in a way you're, you're describing, uh, starting to describe a, a little bit of the behavior patterns that people fall into. Um, you know, and th- that can be kind of banal. You know, you see your neighbor in the morning and just, wave hi and say hi, right. you know, go on with your day. But in a family, that, that can lead to kind of, uh, you know, a, a deep-seated, like, resentment. You know, yeah. the part of your behavior pattern is that uh, every morning your little brother, uh, you know, pulls your pigtail. Um, and that's just what he does, and he thinks it's funny, you know. But after after a few weeks of that, and then you explode and, slam the door and scream at him. Um, so we, we realized, okay, we're, we're kind of describing patterns that people feel like they've been falling into. So again, you know, now that we've made it, um, made it a physical thing, you know, that you can, it, once it's sort of outside of your head, you can more easily describe it. Mm. Um, you can point to that and say, I think we're in this, this, uh, you know, this dance that we do. Um, let's see if we can get out of that. No, that's powerful. Do you, um, I mean, it seems like, too, it's something that uh, can actually, because it's so principled in a way, so general, it, it'll stand the test of time. Even if you have to amend it or adjust it, it also seems like it, it, it pertains to your marriage just as much as it does your family. Um, do, do you? I, I would also assume it would it would probably be good to just talk about regularly or let it come up in an issue. Or a, like I was thinking about one of your principles is we want to be respected, and um, like when uh-huh. one of my boys will go play a game, I want his brothers and sisters to go watch his game uh, as much as they can. And now I have language right. I would be able to use because that's how we respect our brothers. Right. That that's a good point. Um... Be, because again, you, it, it's, it's. I think probably what the the core of it is is trying to help people see the world from someone else's perspective. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I guess you could just shorten to say empathy. But um, the the point you just made about, you know, well, if if your son's siblings don't realize uh, that it's important to him for them to be there, you know, for for him to look out and see them watching or, or if they think to themselves, you know, when, when I'm in a game, I don't really care if you guys see me. Yeah. Um, then, then that's where, you know, the, those unspoken unintentional hurts happen. Right. You know, cause you think from your perspective, well, that's not a big deal to him. Right. But it could mean the world, you know? So it's, it, again, like, like you said, it, it's sort of uh, trying to help people, See how other people experience that interaction. Yeah, no, it really is. A, I think a powerful thing, and I know, uh, you know, it, it's 
it's also just the mere fact you're talking, you're having these conversations that really might be the most valuable part of all of this, isn't it? I think so. And, and that, was, that was part of what we, my, my motivation for it. Um, you know, like we talked about a second ago, with my daughter almost being a teenager, yeah. uh, almost being to the point where she's going to be dealing with the difficulties of middle school to begin with, uh, and then high school. Um, as, as I thought about those coming years, I thought, we just need to keep her talking to us. Mm-hmm. Um, even even with, if what she's saying is, is uh, telling us stuff that's bad, you know, I mean, we've, we've been, you know, our, our kids are good kids. Uh, we don't, you know, they're, they're kind of typical. They, they don't have any behavioral problems or anything like that. But, you know, when you deal with the teenage years, that's when they start to kind of try on different ways of being in the world. Um, and so we, we wanted to kind of lay the groundwork that she could keep talking to us. So if she has to tell us that she, you know, fails a chemistry test in middle school or high school or whenever it is, we want, we want her to know that that's something that she can tell us. Um, we, we kind of realized if, if all we ever do is kind of reactive punishment based on a behavior. So, uh, timeout or grounding kind of what you're unintentionally teaching if if that's all you're doing is uh, here, you got to get better at hiding that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right because uh, otherwise you'll get grounded so I, <laughs> I really got to learn how to make sure they never find out about that uh, that test that I failed yeah um, so we like you said the the talking is the core and so I, I almost think sometimes that the kids, especially at this age, would would like to just go back to only doing timeout. Uh, <laughs> right. They'd love it. Can I take my phone to timeout, Dad? <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't have to talk to you anymore. Much. That's right. Uh, but I, I do think in the long run, you know, it's, it's kind of demonstrating, um, you know, no matter what you do, we're not going anywhere. I love um, it. We're not giving up on this, and so we're going to talk about it. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Jeffrey. And I love, too, just that you're a dad bringing this to us. It's just real-life examples and uh, real-life work. Jeffrey Reddick is his name. You can go to his website, jeffreyreddick.com, where you can find out about all of his uh, writing. He writes for Fatherly, Lifehacker, Deadspin, Deseret News, a lot of great sites uh, that are using his content as well. And he's just informed and trying to, you know, not trying to be preachy about it. It's just an idea. But it worked. And um, and it actually is doing whatever it, it, it it's supposed to do by opening up conversation, creating probably more trust, more safety for everyone in the family. Jeffrey Reddick's his name. We're going to continue the journey, folks. Straight ahead, we'll be visiting with our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, folks, 
to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, it is the twangy music, which means it's time to go visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Brian Logan and Jason Shepard filling in for the good old boys that are on their way to Vegas, I believe. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Are you playing this music because I'm from Missouri? Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly why. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't want to offend you. That's, I like this music. I enjoy uh, the, the music of the banjo. The, oh, man. I think you know that there's banjos in heaven. Of course. Bluegrass. It oh, is yeah. the, it's the heavenly music. It, I, think, I think David or, yeah, David played the banjo. Oh, no, that was a harp. Yeah, that was a harp. Yeah. But he could play it like a banjo. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> That's what they say. It's a great point. Hey, guys, uh, I've got it. In fact, I, boy, could we be more blessed than to have Brian Logan, who finally moved Spencer and Jerem out of their seats. <laughs> hey, man, you're, you are making me turn purple, <laughs> making me blush. Dude, you're, I, I'm so glad you're here today because I want to talk Ziggy Ansa. Did you guys hear that news? Oh, yeah. we've heard it, and uh, that's that's going to be one nice tithing check. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> Ziggy Ansa <laughs> has played football for what five years of his ex- existence, and three of those were in the pros, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Unbelievable! And so he's now with the Detroit Lions. They're going. I guess they tagged him with the franchise tag, which yep. means he'll now get paid the highest, the most money for the position as defensive end in the NFL: eighteen million dollars a year. Yeah. That's like that's like Matt Townsend contract. No, it's stuff. not. It's not that yet. I mean, you know. Oh, he hasn't he hasn't reached that level no, yet. No, no, no. He's getting. Oh, there. wow. My yeah. my bad. Yeah, I, yeah, I sorry. apologize. No, I didn't. I don't want to. I didn't want. I didn't want to create a stink or anything. But yeah, he's getting there. He's slowly closing in on it. But I mean, did you play? No, you didn't play with him, did you? you I mean, Brian's like that's rude. Yeah, um, I played. I played with him. Did you? Um, I played with him, but I didn't play with him. So yeah. his first year uh, in 2010, you know, the stories of him um, not knowing how to put his pads on and things like that. That that was my senior year. Was so, that true though? He really, it was all new to him. I just remember, I, like, I, I don't know those type of stories. I wasn't a part of those type of stories. I've heard them, you know, when, yeah. I, was, when I was playing. But I just remember, you know, us lining up uh, in, in practice and coaches running over to him every so often and pointing. And then, <laughs> <laughs> go run. Go do that. Go do this. Go, go do that. that. And um, the, 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 I think the, the most uh, or, or the biggest thing that I remember with, with Ziggy and kind of the situation was – we were we were in camp and it was kickoff special teams and we all kind of just chill, especially the starters, right? We don't yeah. like to go hard or hustle. It's a it's a break time for us if we're not on it. And I just see this tall black dude, you know, and he wasn't <laughs> as big as he was not, as he is now. You know, he yeah. was, he was still skinny, just flying down. I mean, he just, just dusted everybody. And I was his... like, who is that? Yeah, what is he doing? <laughs> why is he why is he running hard like he's that? And they're like, no, no, no. Bad. He's a He's a sprinter. He's a he's a sprinter from, you know, for, he he was on the basketball team and on the track team and yada yada yada. <laughs> but I, I just remember his speed more than anything. Oh, that's cool. Um, you know, that's that's probably about my, my the biggest memory. Of, well, that's of fun. He deserves it, right? I mean, this is huge. This is this yeah. is a guy that was the number five pick in the NFL draft. Oh. Coming from the background that Brian was talking about, I mean, not you know, this was brought up not knowing to put on the pads and really very didn't know football and to go from that to being the number five pick to now being the highest paid defensive in in the biggest sport <laughs> in the world i take that back soccer is probably the biggest yeah. sport no, but at least no, in the no, United no, States. no 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 don't no, trust me. no don't take you in take the that back. world it is soccer <laughs> take that back but yes You've you know what i'm saying Brian. the yeah. other football if you will the other football America wow is the world you know what it's 
<laughs> it's cool. And again, um, too, just the mere fact that a coach – I mean I guess that just shows you it's all about just talent, right? I mean it's not about 20 years of football. It's about talent. Um, I think, it's also about time. Yeah, time, I mean that, that all plays a part. I mean I, w- I would say you're right 100%. I mean – at the end of the day, somebody that's bigger, faster, stronger just is got a gift. Going, it's always going to win. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just you know what uh, what Jason taught me a couple months ago. Life math. <laughs> <laughs> it just that's just it's just it's just facts, right? But when you have guys that are undersized, um, don't have as much talent. Yeah. You know, somebody like myself, you just got to work twenty times harder to keep up with the Ziggies of the world. Right. So well, but, and yours, but, you've used your looks, I think, more, don't you think, Brian? Like. Because you didn't have the size, you had to just go on your rugged good looks. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And his eight-pack, which I didn't even know existed. I know. Yeah. He, yeah. He's the only guy I've ever known that actually has eight uh, abs in front, and then he has an extra two on the back. Ooh, back he abs? Just, yeah, back yeah. abs that he they're, brings to the front when he actually. needs them. Can we call, do we call those uh, – never mind. I was yeah. going to say babs. But. <laughs> yeah, you could try that. But, yeah, Barbara Streisand doesn't like that. So what's, uh, what what's going to be on your show today, guys? Lots of basketball and football talk. Obviously, we're going to talk about Ziggy. I mean, that's huge you gotta news. You got to talk, yeah. But it's also, it's also kind of got us thinking, what is BYU's greatest success story? Huh. So, and honestly, there are a lot of different ways you could go with that. So that's one of the things that we'll, we'll talk about. Cool. We're obviously getting ready for the WCC tournament this week. Greg Rubel uh, will be on the show. Trent said former Cougar. We'll talk a lot of hoops as the Cougars get ready to take on the Toreros coming up Saturday at the Orleans Arena. Oh, man. Now, are you guys together all week? Uh, just today. Oh. Shows from Vegas. You sounded so sad. I know, because I don't get to talk sad. to that Brian enough. I, I mean, I see you all over the place, Jason. Mm-hmm. But Brian, you know, I can't believe just I, how much I've missed him. Man, you are seriously making me turn purple. I, because <laughs> I, I you love know that, you. Know that emoji with the monkey, the monkey yeah. putting his hands over his eyes. That's oh, that, what I'm doing. Is that what you're doing? You're, yeah, yeah. It's see no evil monkey. <laughs> um, Thanks, well, man. Well, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I wish I could. Well, come on. Well, I just you know just step into the building and immediately feel at home and feel the peace. Drop the by whenever, whenever you're here. Feel free to come by. I'll give you a, a truffle. Oh, okay. I'm going to avoid running into Matt for a while so that when he sees me, he appreciates it more. No, I, I see you walk by my, my little window here that I get to peep out into the world, and I think there's a ruggedly good-looking guy, too. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You and my mom think that. You know Thank you so much. You know much. he's talking about me, right? You, you guys, what? Be, you know he's talking about me. You guys have more abs per pound than gotta, any other television team. You got to play the game, man. It's like dating. It's like Dave Rose and Clyde Drexler. How many dunks did you guys have that year? 72. Well, how many did you have, Dave? Uh, one. <laughs> if you call it a dunk. <laughs> yeah. But hey, combined, we were 72. That's so good. Well, guys, we love you. Be good. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Brian Logan, Jason Shepard on BYU Sports Nation. They're covering it today while uh, Spencer and Jerem are on the road to Vegas. And it's always fun. So tomorrow we'll be hearing from Ve- uh, from them in Vegas, which is always interesting to, you know, find out what those two uh, wonderful saints are doing in Vegas. They're at the craps. No. Doing the craps. Yeah. No, they don't. They just usually go to a movie. So usually by Friday they're doing a movie. Um, they <laughs> They go to the pool and <laughs> sit around, but it's usually colder. It's like the two things you can do when... Uh... 
You're yeah. a practicing member of the LDS Church. And they work a lot. They, they do a lot of work while they're there. So, hey, let's get to the hero story. Our hero today, uh, um, listen to this, Keisha Edwards, 24, of Wolverhampton, England, has lived with epilepsy for almost 10 years, and sometimes she goes into seizures. While it might be a terrifying moment for her children, little uh, Tion, who's five years old, has learned to stay calm and deal with the situation like an adult. Last week, after Miss Edwards suffered an episode at about 9 a.m., he made sure his two younger sisters, Soraya and Shala, were uh, safe uh, before alerting a neighbor. There was no answer from his first two doors so he knocked on, that he knocked on, and so he decided he needed to keep going. Miss Edwards, a single parent, said she was so proud of her son. I was at home, had the children in bed with me, and I went into a seizure. She said, Tion put his six-month-old sister Soraya into her crib, told his other sister Shayla to stay with me, and then he went to get help. He went neighbor by neighbor, but eventually the third neighbor managed to be there. He opened the door to get help and told him, hey, my somebody needs to come check on my mom, and uh, the rest is history. He basically got the nine one one response to to come and help, and uh, did it. Five year old boy taking care of his mom. How cool is that? So, uh, Tion, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And folks, the world's filled with them. You're one of them. Let's just all step up and be the good that we need to be. That's what we're trying to do on the show is let you see that there's a lot of good out there, even though it doesn't always make the news. Uh, Up next, BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us.